0: Me and my brother, we carry this chip on our shoulder about, oh, like we see dudes in public, shaved head. Oh, are you skinhead? Oh, they say yes, and we could jump on them. Like that was, that was just our thing. Like we, so we, I think we also um, caused a lot of grief of people hating us because we went, we, went after skinheads specifically. And and I never wanted to feel like that again. So anytime um, somebody threatened our family or, 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 or made it feel like they were threatening my family, then um i would i would go above and beyond to uh hurt somebody so i said let's follow them where they at they should know better and we followed them for about 20 miles on the freeway from uh hollywood nightclub we ended up um following them all the way to commerce and that's where i shot and killed uh mr min and hit three other people in the car
1: man so the so the commissioner finds you suitable for parole so so what what happens there
0: And I was standing on a prison yard one day and I was like, man, like fresh readings on mindfulness and things like that. And then I go, why do I have to view prison as punishment? Why can't I look at this as a place where I can remake myself, even if I'm supposed to die in here?
2: Yo, welcome back to Rancher Network podcast. It's your boy, Yak. It's your boy, T. We got a special one today, man. I want to give a really big shout out. Um, to everybody that's been commenting and liking our videos, thank you guys so much for subscribing and, you know, providing all the support. We have another great one for you guys today. I want to give a shout out to Change Reaction, um, especially Daphna for connecting us with this individual. Um, when you lick this person's name up on Google, I promise you all his successes has come up. And you would not guess just by him I mean, on his background. Um, he has such a great story and it's so empowering because I know there's people out there that could benefit from this. On so many levels. So, I wanna give a really warm welcome to our boy, Juan Quinn. Let's go, man. Let's
1: get it. I'm so sorry. Like, I was so, <laughs> tell us, what's the, that was a little off, but what's the pronunciation? Juan Quinn. Juan Quinn. Okay.
2: okay. I apologize for that. It was, it was a little tongue twister, but um... no, I think, yeah, I mean, if you're comfortable, would you like to move forward like that? I'm Yeah, we're we're at- Um So Daphna, um it was funny because I was talking to Daphna about um the podcast what we do and we're like we love to get, you know, stories of people who've been formerly incarcerated. She's like, I have the perfect person for you. I'm like, Who is that? It's like this guy Kwan. I'm like, no way, what's this about? Well have you heard of five answers? And she started talking to me about all the stuff you do, which we'll get to pretty soon. Um, but I was like, No way. So when I hit you up, man, you were so welcoming. I appreciate that. Um, I think it's really tough when we reach out to individuals because a lot of individuals don't want to share their story or they're scared to or they're not motivated to. And hopefully, you sharing yours today will motivate others, right, um, for the better. So uh, to get really into it, we want to talk a little bit about your background because overall, you were incarcerated for how many years? Uh, I've done a total of 22 years. 22 years. Um, so we want to talk about how you know what kind of led to that. So where did you grow up a little bit and then um, how that kind of led to your incarceration?
0: Sure. I... Um grew up in Provo, Utah, Um, first-generation Vietnamese refugee uh, after the war. um, We lost our country. My father um, settled in, decided to settle in Provo, Utah, because my mother had never seen snow. So that was his reason for deciding to go there. Um, So I was the first born. Um, My brother and sister were born over there. Utah is a beautiful state, Mm -hmm. but I did experience what I do now know to be racism growing up. So that was a lot of the backdrop for my issues later with um, acceptance and fitting in. Um, uh, One instance in in particular was uh, my younger brother and I, we were playing with our GI Joes in Mm -hmm. the streams and um, some older kids and what looked like adults told us like, get out of our country, get out of here and start throwing rocks at us. And you know, we we're little kids, and we're thinking, like, oh, the fence is so high, and I can not get to us. so right. come and make us. And they jumped the fence. They started chasing us, and um, my brother and I ran. I dropped some of my G.I. G. Joes. My little brother stopped to face them, and they punched him, and they started shoving dirt in his mouth, and I stood there. Like, I, I didn't jump in. I was too scared. And then um, me and my brother went home. He was crying. I was crying when my father found out what happened. He was like, how could you let this happen to your family? Mm-hmm. And um, how, how did you let this happen? You're supposed to protect your family. So I think that also instilled in me like right. this thinking like, oh, so because I, I know later on in life, like anytime um, something bothered me or my brother or somebody threatened me or my brother, we would actually like go pretty crazy ar- around it, like I'll go above and beyond. And I think that's where a lot of it was just already um, not, not my father's fault, of course, but, you know, in, in him saying that and then never bringing it up again to me, it just felt like, damn, I've let my family down, still, I've let mm-hmm. my father down, and, and I never wanted to feel like that again. So anytime um, s- somebody threatened our family or, 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 or made it feel like they were threatening my family, then um, I, would, I would go above and beyond to uh, hurt somebody. Um, yeah. Real, real quick, I, I yeah. just want to
1: say, it's pretty trippy how... Like in retrospect, you can think back and it's super clear how some of the beginning pieces of these things happened or started taking place, you know, and a backtrack it to a memory that young where you're like, I can't let that happen to my little brother again. And then once you, we hear the story that's later to come, it's like, damn, some of these things were precursors, you know, Mm
2: -hmm. you were how old at this point when, when that was eight,
1: while you're young, that's a baby. Yeah.
2: So um, yeah, I guess old, yeah. did that conversation ever take place, especially with like your father, like knowing that, you know, this may happen, racism may happen or things like that? Well, that I mean, ever, I mean,
0: a funny story. Um, I don't that. This is like the 80s. They have all these Kung Fu movies, right? Mm. On, on TV, right? Yeah. Remember all the Kung yeah, Fu yeah, movies? Yeah, yeah. And you know how Same they TV dub roles. in the people's uh, uh, like they're speaking yeah. and then they dub it in. Oh, right, so I remember yeah. watching and I see their mouths moving weird. I was like, "Why do they look?" And then I remember, I, I wonder if that's what I look like when I speak English. No is way. that why kids tease us that's at school? Right. So I remember getting in front of the mirror and say, "Hello, how are you?" And seeing my mouth moved weird. I just remember that. Wow. And I remember bringing up with my dad, and he, he, of course, he laughed in his gentle way and like, "No, that's they dub in the voices." And I'm like, "But why did the kids at school tease me? Because we were the only Asians mm-hmm. at school. I mean, everybody is like 99% white. So like, I remember growing up thinking." I wish I just looked normal. I wish my family looked normal. Why don't we look normal? And so there was all of this going on for me as a little kid back then, like these weird questions, like only my dad could answer it. So um, my father gets diagnosed with leukemia uh, around that time, and his condition got worse. So that's when we moved out here to California because his family's out here. Mm. So out here in California, for me, from growing up in Utah, Provo, Utah, um, coming out here, suddenly... It's as diverse as I've never seen, like Hispanic kids, other Asians, Blacks, yeah. and everything. So um, for me, it just like it was it was a totally different world. But then even at school, first in California, going to school with other Vietnamese kids, um, I was teased for not being able to speak Vietnamese well. Oh, really? That's and a thing. I didn't I didn't
1: know. Yeah. So that exists in a Hispanic community, and you know, that there's just yeah. They said I was, I was whitewashed. I didn't know that was and, a thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. They said, oh, you're whitewashed and you, you 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 can't even speak Vietnamese and um, so for me it felt like crap I don't fit anywhere I go like my own right. uh, uh, folks uh, so I, I for me I remember just thinking damn, there's something wrong with me wow. just growing up thinking like that yeah so now was mom's in the pictures
2: too like was mom and how what was that relationship like with you and your family as well uh,
0: my mom my mom's I mean she, my mom's an interesting woman like uh, and I and I highlighted her in my book because she just she can't express her feelings. Like she mm. seems very cold. Mm. Um, she she's an amazing cook, and that's when I know she that's how she expresses her love through her cooking. Right. She won't tell me she loves me. Um, she even to this day she still has that 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 same issue. But I know she does. But yeah. So, so I think growing a up, nice
1: big warm meal. That's how. You yes, know, but right. like.
0: Does your mom? Does your mom tell you tuck you in bed and tell you she loves you? No, for her it's like, why are greats not good? You have to do this. Yeah. You have to become this, and it was more just expectations. So, um, but then that's uh, that. That was the relationship with my mom. Then my father's uh, condition gets worse. He passes away when I'm 13. So my mom by that time uh, had to go to work full time to take care of three kids. So she was never around and. Um, I think at that time, I remember when he passed away, because my father died on the day of our uh, first communion. Oh, man. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, I remember thinking up until that, like as a little kid, I remember, we're going to go, my mommy said, your dad's going to die, and I think in the back of my mind, the back of my brother and sister's mind, like, oh, our communion's coming up, our first prayer after we eat the bread, we're going to pray for our dad to live. Like, I hear my brother talking about it now, I hear my sister but back then, I don't think any of us were able to process it. And I remember that day, morning, waking up, my little sister telling me, yeah, dad passed away last night. And for me, I was like, what happened? Like, right. God God killed our dad just so he wouldn't have to answer our prayers. And I think, uh, like I see now, you know how they say, like, um, families that experience death, there's, there's counseling, there's treatment and stuff yeah. like that. And mm-hmm. we didn't get none of that. There was no way to talk about it. It was like, oh, your dad's dead, and uh, now, oh, uh, it's something that we just don't talk about.
2: Would you, you say that, that the reason why you didn't get a chance to do it was because it's like culture that you don't do that or is it because you didn't have access to that?
0: I would say both. I mean, culture for sure. But then also, I mean, we were, we were on welfare. Like we, we didn't have, there, were, there, was, there was no talk about, okay, you're, you've experienced the death of a loved one. This is the healthy thing to do. I remember yeah. like my dad's friends and his uncles that were at the funeral telling me, oh, you're such a strong uh, uh, kid. Because I wasn't crying or, you know, whatever it is. I believe, okay, well, that means if I cry, that means I'm weak. So I, I can't be weak. So I can't show these feelings and I don't talk about it. And I think, like, it, w- it I did not begin to grieve my father's death until, like, 25 years after when I was doing a life sentence in prison. Wow. That's when I actually went to talk to a doctor for the first time and talk about, damn, these are the things that have affected me. This is how it shaped the way I saw the world. Mm. This Now I know cool. why... I focused a lot into the gangs and and why I did this, and, it, and then it started. Un, once I've understood that component, then I was able to unravel a bunch of other things about my own life, and build on it.
2: That's empowering. I think one important thing uh, that I kind of want to touch on that you probably le- um, learned when when you went in, when you got incarcerated, but grief and loss is something that just doesn't happen right then and there. Mm-hmm. It's a process. Yeah, it doesn't. Sure. It, it yeah. could happen years from there. Mm-hmm. It could happen like ten years from a decade. You don't know. Um. So eventually, it got to you when you when you uh, were incarcerated because you had the chance to speak about it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, while would like you were how old when that happened with your father?
0: Uh, thirteen. Thirteen
2: <laughs> at a young age. Now,
1: and then, um, real quick question: Where, uh-huh. What part of California did you did you land or- in? Orange, Orange County. Orange County. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it. was a
0: big Vietnamese community out there. There was a, uh, and then I grew up during the '80s and '90s. During that time, when it's a big community, and I think we were still as a. Uh, um, Thirteen, um, dad passes away. You're getting ready for your
1: first communion. Um, what what kind of state of mind does that leave you in as a thirteen year old in a new place? Now you're you're figuring out. There's different groups. There's things going on. But you're going through household trauma. What's what? Where you where do you find yourself at that point in time?
0: Uh, lost. I would just oh. say lost. Like the whole family was. I, I look like even when I flash back now, just think about my mom, my sister, my brother. We were just, I think we were just all lost. We didn't know what to do. We just went through the motions, go to mass every week, pray, just be sad, don't know how to express it, just go to school, try to get good grades from mom, but then can't talk about my father's death. Uh, so
1: at all, not even like a,
0: I missed that type of deal? That wasn't no, a thing? No, that wasn't oh. a thing in our household. We didn't talk about That's it. really yeah. yeah, and it's, it's bizarre, but I could see how bizarre it was and how unhealthy it was, but yeah, we did not talk about it. Like. Maybe like there might be like oh my mom might mention oh your dad used to, like eating this dish or something but there's not really like hey kids how are you doing let's let's process this none of that most mm-hmm. definitely. So now your mother now so
2: now your mother really takes lead on on the household component. Um, how does that feel for you now that you know your mother's out of the house? You're the oldest out of all. I'm the oldest. So now do you feel like you've taken this role to take care of your? Citizens? In a way,
0: I I think there was I I felt like there's this expectation that. Hey, now you have to uh, be the one to be successful to take care mm. of, of you know, my mom. I have to take care of my mom eventually when she gets older. When I, I have to hurry up and grow up to to take care of the family. And, and yeah, that's that
2: that is how I felt. How were you trying to grow up at that time? Like, what were the steps that you were taking, or were you not taking any steps as far as like uh, to like to grow up and be able to support one way or another? Fill
1: those shoes type of deal.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, I. Like I said our, our our family was on welfare. I think that's where by that age my brother and I already knew how to hustle, you know, like we we already like I remember um before I even knew how to drive a car, I already knew how to break into a car and steal the the radios. Like it was one of my mm-hmm. friends like that, that was like the things like that that they liked to do like his older brothers would take us and then we would uh, break into the cars, take radios. So I would have a whole bunch of radios under my bed. I remember my mom comes home like, oh, what are yeah. you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm fixing the these radios. And she's like, oh, you're so smart. But it was like, wow. no, this is how we just hustle. We hustle, that's where we, yeah. So I remember just a bunch of little things like that. And of course, it gets more and more criminally sophisticated. But yeah, I mean, that's where the beginnings was already as, as like, okay, I'm on the streets and this is what I... Um, due to, to sort of, we could yeah. wear Nikes to school instead of having to buy, my mom buy shoes at Payless. No way, we we're gonna get uh, shoes for the week. A tool, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Mm-hmm.
2: How, how did you get exposed to that? To that kind of, because now you transitioned from OC, when did you start start getting exposed to like the car breakings and things like that?
0: Um, I think it was just in junior high. One of my best friends at the time, his older brother, was, were already kind of um, in doing things like this and then Mm. these are guys that i looked up to as a little kid Mm. you know they have cars Mm. and then later on when we're good at breaking into these cars then they then they're like oh yeah you're good they're really good at this so then we get some recognition and and these are older guys that are telling me i'm i'm cool and i feel i feel like i'm cool so i think all of that then you know of course in the car and you break into a car you get the radio if you find a wallet, there's Credit cards, so they show us how to start scamming on credit cards, mm-hmm. writing fake checks and things like that, and it just continues were, were to evolve. Were these older
1: guys that you mentioned part of a, a hood? There was this part of like a yeah. hood activity, or it was mischief still M- more more mischievous? mischievous yes, it's like because okay. it's like this is all first mm-hmm.
0: generation Vietnamese, um, you know. But of course, you know, like now understanding the mm-hmm. the mass incarceration policies of the 80s and 90s and what that did to our communities at the time when they would. Tough on crime. Yeah, already. like, yeah. they say tough on crime. They come in with their vehicles and lay us down and say that we're gang members. And we weren't yet, mm-hmm. but they were pr- pushing that stuff. And suddenly you've, we didn't feel like we were part of a community, so what does that do? So then they're like, okay, you guys are part of this group. Oh, are you this gang? And we're like, no, we're not gangs. Right. But they're, they were like, no, you guys are gang members. And they do these little field identification cards. And like, oh, you're with this group. Or whatever, and start labeling us as gang members. I think a lot of us felt like, oh, well, this is if they're going to label us, then we might as well. Might as well yeah, now. Yeah. Dang, that's, an that's interesting I, I'm glad you touched on it. We yeah. had an
1: individual, a couple individuals speak on that. Like, I, they're saying, like, I was incarcerated in the 90s and the 80s. Like, you got to understand, my group wasn't a gang when we got incarcerated. Yeah. We were a group of friends. And yeah. then, the, then the other stuff came about, yeah. you know, so that's interesting to know that, or take it into account at least, you know, when we're going through these things thinking about that. Um, that, that stuff start escalating Um to, to eventually give you the bigger sentence? Was it, or was that just like a one-off thing that gave you the bigger sentence?
0: No, the, those things escalate. I mean, um, my first arrest was at 17. Um, there were some skinheads at our school that had called and threatened my mom, mm. and they said they were going to kill her. And my brother um, my brother found out who it was, so they, they came to my work. I was working at Subway at the time, mm. and they let me know, like, hey, um, those dudes called the house, they threatened mom. So then he goes, do you know where they live? And that
1: really happened real quick? They really caught your mom? Yeah. The kids? Some yeah. Random how did yeah. they get access that, to that's that's stuff? We, okay. we didn't know gotcha. how they got our phone number. That like Someone really gave them our, our house yeah. number.
0: My mom picks up the phone. And they're like, gooks, we're going to come kill you, kill mm-hmm. your whole family. My mom's scared. So she hands my brother. Somebody says they're coming to kill us. So my brother's like, hello, hello. And they were talking crap to my brother. So my brother hurries like, oh, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. So then he came to my work and he asked, like, hey, do you know where so-and-so lives? And I, I, said I don't. But we asked some. We asked my coworker. She's like, Yeah, I know where they live. So she drew us a map. Wow. And cool. she's like, Oh yeah, they live here. And she's like, These are the roads. Uh-huh. So then they're like, Oh okay. They, they, they took the. And I think about three, four months before that, one of my homies, uh, we got a hold of a gun. So he sported everywhere. And then uh, so everything after or that came out of our mouths that oh yeah, we got a gun. So we're just gonna go shoot them up. Mm-hmm. So I remember we had gone to this house party. And he like the other guys who were surrounding us, a whole bunch of skinheads surrounded us, he pulls the gun out and they all run. So like suddenly we feel this power, like, okay, right. we have got, we, we're a group, we have a gun, and this is how we can, we're cool now on the streets. And people talked about it. So um, that day at Subway, they told me, okay, we'll be, we'll be back at 10 o'clock to pick you up. And we'll go to this house. Your brothers. Yes. My, my younger brother and my friend said, we'll, we'll come back at 10 o'clock to pick you up. And then uh, we'll, we'll, shoot, we'll shoot up the house. We're like, okay, okay. So that's, that was our talking.
1: Quick, not, not even like thinking too deep on it, right? Mm-hmm. You were just thinking, we're going to repeat of what happened last time. I'll probably pull it out. They run away. The empowerment from it. You yes. probably didn't dwell on it. Right? I, I right. didn't.
0: Never in a minute. We we'd never shot the gun before. Nothing like that. 10 o'clock comes around, my brother and them did not come to my house. So we went, uh, I went home, I mean, they didn't, they didn't pick me up, I went home, and my brother's laying in bed, and he, was, he looked, like, terrified. I said, what's going on? He's like, oh, um, we, we left, we went to the arcade, and they ran into some other guy that knew where those guys lived, uh, where one of the skinheads lived, so he took them over to the house. Then my homie... Um, he decides to go out, knocks on the door. They open the door. He ran inside and shoots three people. Wow. He sh- so he shot three people. All, all three of them survived. Within two weeks, then they arrested all of us, including me, for a conspiracy. Um, they said because I asked my coworker for the map. But, you know, I mean, as an aside, but yet the person that drew the map was not arrested. She was never charged because... She's white, you know? So it was like, all, all of that mm, tied into it was like, so. wait, how, how did I get charged? And I never, in a million years, thought uh, that was gonna happen, yeah. So they got me under co- uh conspiracy. So. And
1: for people that don't know, conspiracy is kind of like um, used as kind of like a smoke screen yep. to give you life. So instead of fighting, a, I think it's called Double Jeopardy or something like that, it's their reason to be able to give everyone a different version of a life sentence on the same case, right?
0: Yes, and if you want to track it even further, that's also uh, uh, under the mass incarceration policies on on the war on drugs, Mm -hmm. is where they came up with the conspiracy. Mm -hmm. So that's where they first used it, and then then it later on became a a blanket term for all police departments to use conspiracy charges under basically anything to wrap people up. Yeah, insane. Mm
1: -hmm. And then, um, growing up in Orange County, was the interactions between other races and, and skinheads, was that a thing? Because that's, un- I would say, unheard of for my even my generation out here in L.A., maybe for yourself, B. What do you think? Um, no, I was, like, really, that's, I was curious because I know. Skinheads and stuff like that, that didn't really. It's, a
2: di- it's diverse. It's diverse. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, even Santa Ana, for instance, um, it's a well-known location in oc too. So what was that experience like? So was that, that was normal, huh? Right, like yeah. being out there, like for you, um, and running around.
0: Well, I mean, I already had this hatred against, uh, uh, you know, like racism or, or whites mm. that, that oppress from Got Utah, you. and then Got so of course anything like skinheads. So if, I think because of that, me and my brother we carry this chip on our shoulder about, oh, like we see dudes in public shaved head, oh, you skinhead? Uh, they say yes, and we could jump on them. Like that was that was just our thing. Like we, so we, I think we also um, caused a lot of grief of people hating us because we went, we went after skinheads specifically for a lot of I
1: get you. You're saying like at a certain point you internalized it mm-hmm. and so now you are being that person mm-hmm. that they're talking crap about. So yeah. now I'm going to show you like okay since you're already going right. to you know throw things out there or yeah. whatever. Um, man, that's intense. So you get picked up for conspiracy because a friend did something. You guys, you and I'm sure you probably have or you know prison it makes you think of the fault like yes I had some fault in it. Even yeah. if you didn't, weren't there you didn't do it. There were still your group of friends and you yeah. knew what was going on or whatever, right? Not saying that's the case. Um, how does that even take place? The the going into how were you a juvenile still at this point? So juvenile, they hall. charged
0: me as an adult. Yeah, I was at Orange County Juvenile Hall. They charged me as an adult. Ended up getting seven years in the California Youth Authority, so I went to YA from there. Yeah. So of course at the time, YA was like, oh, you went if you went to YA, then then you went to Gladiator School. Right, you must be really cool, and, and you must be yeah. And I think that's how we got like, uh, uh, going to the Y. So I mean, I mean that that that's where my my gang ties like got really deepened. Mm. It's like it was in the jail, and I get indoctrinated by the older guys. Like this is this okay? Like hey, this is our race. That's the Hispanics over there. Those are the paisas, Those are the whites, and those are the blacks, and these are the Asians. So this is this is how we have to organize ourselves in here. So I mean that's where I really felt like oh okay, now now I know where I belong. This is my group of people. Now I finally fit in for once. They're not teasing me because I can't speak uh, of enemies or whatever. These guys take me under their wing. And yeah, so that's that's where a lot of it. And then, of course, going into YA and then there's a bunch of other young gang members and young uh, uh, mischievous kids, and we just start forming our groups, which later on became just the core of our gang later.
1: That's nuts. Right. So you, you end up going to YA, and that end up... Again, that's why I'm glad that they went did away with the YAs mm-hmm. because it just it would end up grooming you for prison. Yeah. you know, yeah, to become literally like a crash dummy for mm-hmm. prison. Really, yeah, right. That's what YA did. Yep. Um, I I just um, so you you caught the seven and what? How, how does that happen? You going in? I'm assuming you're a lot smaller. You're going in, and there's a bunch of grown men. This is why. Mm-hmm. How was that first experience for you, and what did moms think about you being incarcerated for something like? Oh, that?
0: my mom was like totally shocked. I think like heartbroken. She didn't know how what to do because suddenly, um, her her two sons are in prison. Both of you. Yes,
2: that makes sense. And he's, he's younger, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, so he he did he did ended up doing five of the seven. I did two and a half. Um, I got out, but then. Getting out from there after two and a half in the YA, and then I'm out there running on the streets now. Now, yeah. now the guys that were locked up with me in the YA or in the county jail or at juvenile hall, hey, I think that's the only place where I felt like I, I, I can have guys that can understand my journey. I didn't feel comfortable around others, but yet there was a part of me like, okay, I still have to make my mom proud. Let me enroll in college. Let me get a job. So it was like a, a, a double life wanting to try to, you know, still, I guess, basically trying to find my way.
2: How, now, how was that with with knowing that your brother was still incarcerated? Like, did you feel a certain way with that part as well?
0: Yeah, I felt I felt guilty. Like, damn, I wish my brother was 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 he, here. You know, like, um, I, it's it's funny because when him and I have conversations, I think he felt guilty because, uh, because I got arrested. But for me, I wow. felt guilty that he got arrested. Like, damn, my own little brother, and I couldn't even protect him. So I think there's there. Yeah, I think both of us were affected.
2: And it's a strong relationship. I think the brother love is a strong relationship, and you could speak on that behalf too. Like the whole incarceration of like having a brother incarcerated while you're out, you always want to look out for the best. And I'm sure, like even now, you're at the moment right now, is your brother uh, is incarcerated? Is he free now? No,
0: he he did five years, got out. He he's, he's doing great. He has a business owner, has his own restaurant. Yeah, he's doing great. He was he was in real estate. Um, I think during the boom of the 2000s, mm-hmm. I think uh, yeah, I think he made his. Um, well, boom for some, huh? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, but but then uh, af- but then the crash. Yeah, 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 oh, okay. yeah and then the crash in oh eight. But I think before that, like the early two thousands, the um, I think he he made like at the time he's like, oh yeah, I made my first meal mm-hmm. before I was thirty, um, and then uh, of course everything crashes later. So yeah.
1: And like I'm sure no one would ever know he's a, went to YA. Like yeah. A crazy youth yeah. authority. So uh, yeah. yeah no, so no, so you were
2: so now you were released. You were mm-hmm. released.
1: I'm surprised by that. I didn't even know, like, YA, you didn't, most people would learn their lesson, you know, or whatever. Right. And so I'm just tripped out by that. Like, it kept going, huh? Yeah, it kept going. It mean you, really. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it, I, it basically, YA groomed me to be running on the streets a as, 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 a, as a knucklehead. Like, suddenly, okay, now I got st- real street cred. And and guys like from juvenile hall and county, Oh, this guy went to the YA. Yeah, and then of course there's a part of me that I feel now I have to continue to perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. So that's that's and that's where like after getting out of YA, that's where basically friends that I met over the years we formed the core part of our gang. Like people are like, oh, it's that group, it's this gang, and we're like, no, we're not really a gang. But then later on we're like, okay, you know what? We wait, basically wait. we have guns. We, we we know what to do. We um and it just continues to evolve and next thing you know like okay our group has beef with another group over something stupid or i don't even know what but they shot at us okay now what do we have to do now we have to shoot at them because there's there's a name and 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 our 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 name recognition is behind this now so then it just spun out of control where throughout those the early 90s i was involved in quite a bit of different shootings here and yeah 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 that was that was uh in, in in Orange County, yeah, it was it was a it was a war zone at that time. One
2: thing, one thing I'm thinking too right now is you and your brother went at the same time. Now it's your mom take trying to take care of not only herself but also your little sister. Yes, as well. yes. So how how did that how did that feel with you and your little sister's relationship, and how did it affect her?
0: <clears throat> I don't think I ever thought about it like that until I got my life sentence, mm. and then I started thinking, damn, how did I? Um, not take care of my little sister because like you know the whole time like oh my job is to take care of my family and I definitely didn't take care of my family yeah. like I, I, I caused up but I didn't think of it at the time all I, I thought it was like I, I just want to live this way um the world the world screwed me over Oh poor me I'm a victim I'm a victim of the American justice system I'm America mm-hmm. of this racist system and telling myself all this this stuff that that Fed this narratives of why I'm not doing good in life, why I was unhappy, and
1: and it's always easier to go that way. Yes, right? yes,
0: and that's and that was that was me. I mean, like, I mean, I I looked at myself as like, oh, I'm a I'm a revolutionary, and I, if I I remember telling my mom at why one of the times when I had violated for some guns, and she came in to visit me, and it was like, oh, you know, you should just pray and. I was like, why do you continue to talk about praying to this white God, you know? And I was just so angry and blaming her. And I was like, I wish I was born 20 years earlier. I would have joined the Viet Cong, become a revolutionary and, and those people aren't traitors. Those are liberators of our country and like all this crazy madness. But wow. that's what stuff I, I believed in at the time. It's just sure. because it fed my narrative of, of yeah, fuck this uh, system and, and this is how I got screwed. Instead of owning my part in anything, yeah. it was like easier to blame the world.
2: It's so intense that you build such a passion for something just because they gave you attention and love. Mm-hmm. Like nothing else other than the fact that you got that attention and love and that's where you build passion based off. And that's all what a lot of people are just looking for yeah, at home. Man. That's all they're, they're looking for, just passionate love and just approval. Like, thank you. Or like, you know, that's why I always say words of affirmation go such a long way too. Yeah, um, I always try to emphasize that. So if anyone does anything great, like great job man, I'm happy you're here, et cetera, even for those that we work with now. Um, after, so yeah, now man. after you got off Hatch YA, how long did it take for you to get in part? Because uh, you did Walmart, Walmart, Walmart little sentence, and then you went to your life sentence. Or I got arrested.
0: It? I got uh, like violated like two times, two, two, three times. So violated you're like, depression. so you're like
1: 21 at the time, fresh out of YA. You got some size on you. You're out there running around. <laughs> no
0: size. No. Uh, so when I got arrested, 106 pounds, skinny all the no way, way up. You. Yes, I was really? on built now. So I was, on, right. I was, I was on a wrestling team in 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 in, in, in high school and I was try- I remember I was trying to get down to 103 that year. So when they I remember they weighed me in 106 and when I came out they said, "Oh, you got big." I was like, "130, still still like Man, small." Still yeah. small. Even yeah. though it's a lot bigger than you yeah. were at 106, yeah. it's still
1: yeah. um small. So so you off rip, you didn't you didn't you took it as in like, "Now I met a bunch of dudes in YA. Now I have a network, right? Or a stronger network at that." Um instead of going the other route like fuck this, there's, why, who wants to be smelling another man's shit, you know, all day? Yeah. Which happens, happens to me, happens to a lot of people, you know, that you you don't, you would think it just stops there, but, uh, so it kept going, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. I know, because I, then it's like, okay, my homie on the street got killed, and it's this group, and then our group has to retaliate, and it's like, so you get out, and suddenly, they, my car gets shot up, and my brother is in the car with me, and luckily he didn't get killed, and suddenly, like then we go get the car fixed. The next day, the that same a different gang is waiting for us, and so like a, it was a mm. yeah, it was a really dark time in my life. Like well, a bunch of different gangs going at it with each other, and and like people knowing my car and and knowing that I have a gun inside, so they always make sure that they're shooting at us first and and trying to ambush. So it's like a it was a really crazy time and like a dark time in my what life. Was
1: your was like, uh, brother still part of it? The beginning years of you getting out? Or well, I te- I no, no, like of- this is
0: me like getting out and then he's still incarcerated and that me going because in and out and it. then then yeah. he's then he finally gets out and he's pulled up into that uh, that madness with me oh okay yeah
1: man and that's again you guys are like yeah so it's like this like man i'm pulling him he's pulling you or yeah. we, you find yourself in those situations yeah
0: huh? of course like he, he of course he feels he has to protect me and i have to protect him and then um mm. yeah so then i i got i think i got violated um, in 96 and I did two years on that one uh, for a gun violation and they, they, they pulled they pulled over the whole bunch of guns and stuff like that I got two year violation oh, wow. got out in 98 um, more angry than ever really? and then oh, yeah and then um, I also but then I don't know where else my life is going to go so what else do I do I still have to find a job because on, uh, uh, and I, I enrolled back in college um still trying to find my way and i look like now like yeah i was just lost still lost and confused and um so it was around that time it was like 23 24 mm-hmm. um and then i got um i was working at this this company the gallup organization this is the, the ones like they do the gallup polls and stuff like the canvassing that canvassing and stuff like that yeah yeah oh, yeah they, and they do a lot of uh, surveys and things like that so I was their interviewer of the year. I got a, a, a big award. And so they asked me to interview to, to, for a management position. So I remember thinking, like, finally, my life is going to go right for once. Like, now I get to be a manager over a site of 300 interviewers. This wow. is what success looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the interview. still on parole. Right? I was still on parole. And so you I was still that, on Y-PRO. Yeah. And then I, uh, what's it called? They did the interview, but it's not like a regular job interview. They do it like a personality-based. Like, what do you think about when you drive home at night? When you hear this word, what color do you think? Or There's oh, all wow. this, like, all personality wow. stuff. So um, they did the interview, and then about a month later, they come back and said, hey, Kwan, we're sorry, but you're not a fit. So they, they used that exact word, you're not a fit. And I think that touched that part of me, like, fuck, I don't fit in, I don't fit in. Damn, and like here yeah, we go again. Yeah. yeah, and and I remember I didn't talk to my girlfriend about it at the time. I didn't tell moms. I just did what I did, no best. I went down to the bar, got drunk. Um, a couple weeks later, I was at the nightclub with uh, some of my homies. I found out some of them got in a fight with a different group. I wasn't even involved in the fight, but I had a gun in my car, so I said, let's follow them. Where are they at? They should know better. And we followed them for about... 20 miles on the freeway. It was from uh, Hollywood nightclub. We ended up um, following them all the way to Commerce, and that's where I shot and killed uh, Mr. Min Nguin and hit three other people in the car. They were uh, another group. So that's 98. Uh, that's when this happened. And I, uh, and I was, 1998. Yep.
1: Yeah. And, and what are the chances that uh, you guys meet each other at the same bar? You happen to have a gun that day. And all that falls into place the way it
0: does. Well, I mean, I think the gun was there intentionally because like, I think I had all this emotion going on inside and I know how, let's say like regular people can vent, they can talk. I knew like, okay, whenever things were going on wrong in my life, what do I do? I can look for an excuse to fight with somebody or shoot at somebody to get out all this emotion and and do it in a way that doesn't make me look like, you know, like, okay, I could hide it behind, oh, it's a gang thing and somebody's disrespecting us, but... That, that that was like that crazy narrative I told myself. So I get it.
1: You're just yeah. masking it under something else, but yeah. it's really some internal things yeah. going on that are.
0: That's exactly yeah. what it was. Just a bunch of internal. But I didn't know that at the time. Right. I was just like, oh, these guys, these guys disrespected us. I know what to do, and I just had this urge. I have to do it. I have to do it. It wasn't anybody told me to do it. Um, you know, I wasn't even involved in the fight. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I just felt like this is how I could. I may have failed in this part of my life, but in this part of my life, this is where I can be accepted. I can get some, uh, uh, gain some achievements. And, yeah, that's just how I believed in it.
2: Did you get picked up right after, like, that same night? or if you... No,
0: uh, I, I think I was picked up about five, six months after. I knew they were investigating us. Wow. They did a raid on, um, they... They they raided one of the homegirls' houses a few days after, I think. And they said, oh, this happened up in Hollywood or in L.A. Who were the guys that you were with? And so that's when I knew they were on onto us. So I remember I, I coached her what to say, what not to say. I got rid of evidence, broke apart my gun, um, started coaching a bunch of different witnesses, and then uh, they finally came and raided us think about five six months after uh, charged me for the death penalty uh
1: five six months after normally oh. means though, like they you have some type of action because no because the they just didn't
0: match. they didn't know i think they were investigating mm-hmm. who did the who did the shooting they didn't know who it was gotcha. and gotcha. i think in the in the process of the investigation yeah they that's how they started to find out and then so they raided they raided me I was charged with uh first first degree murder with special circumstances uh yeah, that was 98. And then went to trial around 99, 2000, was found guilty of second-degree murder, um, which at the time for, for me or uh, for everybody in the state of California, it's the same thing as a, um, a death sentence because life sentence, 15 to life, 100 yeah. years of life, they were not paroling. Yeah. They had not paroled anybody since 1977. So when I went in, I was like, okay, I'm going to die in here, so I'm just going to live the way I want to live. And that's just how I, I did approach prison life for years. At first. Um,
2: so I'm, so, I'm assuming, so you came intense. in without any thought of like, um, damn, I messed up or anything. Like that. I'm like, oh, there you go. Yeah. Like, let's just do it. Let's just go with the flow. And yeah.
0: Go. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's, I, I would have to say, I, I went into prison. There was not an ounce of remorse in me at the time. At the time. Mm, I was like, time. I told myself in my head, oh, it's my life or theirs, you know, uh, and which is a bullshit story because like I wasn't involved in the fight. They weren't, they didn't see me coming up on, on their yeah. left side and we just unloaded on them. So um yeah, that's the, but that's just how I justified in my mind for many years.
2: What was that experience like? Now, where do they? Now, where do you go? What's the first place you go through? Pelican
0: Bay. Way? They sent me to Pelican Bay, which at the, oh, wow. so at the time they were like, uh, that's where they sent all the high high profile gang members. And I remember hitting the yard, thinking, well, if this is where they send the um, most high profile gang members and the toughest dudes in the city of California, then I have to hit this yard and show why I'm I belong here on this yard too. And it was, I think that that's all of us on that yard just had that mindset. So. Do
1: you think um, you you handled it and it sucks? You handled it so well because of YA. You shouldn't handle that situation well, but you know whatever. You were seasoned
0: yeah. at the time, so yeah. I would have to I would have to say you YA I mean? seasoned me to to think like a like a thug and a criminal. Yeah,
1: because you know I'm sure if you went up there with another kid that hadn't that lifer freshly sentenced, he's probably shaking. You know, trying to figure out how this is gonna work. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I'm sure I was shaking inside too. But I definitely that, so. If right. anything, I, it seasoned yeah. me to hide it better. But I was definitely shaking up in yeah. there, and I imagine all the guys up in there. That's just how we felt. Yeah. yeah.
1: And especially at that time, you hear Pelican Bay, you're like, I'm going to hell, basically. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, that's intense. First sentence, you get sentenced, and you land in the probably the furthest place and the worst place possible, right. Pelican mm-hmm. Bay. Mm-hmm. You land on a four yard. It's still four yard type <coughs> deal. Yeah. Um, 180. So, it was a 184 okay. yard at the and time. at that time, they probably just had that in a support yard. Yeah. Was it like a one or something? Mm-hmm. Um, what were those, those first was it a f- few years at that time?
0: I ended up, uh, my points dropped to level three about a year and a half after. So what that's happened is, soon, okay. What happened is, be- so funny story of how I got sent to Pelican Bay, there was a counselor that, that, at Delano, was it, I think that's where my, my, my reception was, Delano, she asked, she was checking off the, all these things and to add points, right? Like say, oh, if you have a high yeah. school diploma, it says no, 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 and they, she did all these things. Cause I only had 15 to life, but she pushed my, my things up to like 50, I think it was 58 or so, I can't remember exactly what it was. And I was like, wait, why, why did you say I don't have a high school diploma? I went to college. And she's like, I don't see it in the probation report. Like she kept on citing the probation report. Mm-hmm. And I go, wait, the probation, um, and, she's like, and she, she told me to sign this paperwork to say that I'm a gang member. And I'm like, no, I'm not signing that. And she's like, well, probation report uh, um, says that they suspect you. I go, I went to trial. I was found not guilty of gang crimes. I go, your probation report here says that I was arrested in college. Right there, why are you not giving me the points for being... And she wouldn't budge. And I I was so pissed. I was like, you know, do they even... I go, can I ask you a question? Um, Do you even need to get a high school diploma to get this job? Because obviously you don't know. And she was like, okay, we're done here. And then she's so that's why I think, like, she's like, okay, shoot this guy to the... I'll, I'll, she this, yeah. I'll send you to the worst yeah. place possible, don't no worry. So, so then I go up there, and because my name is foreign, and they didn't have any type of schooling or or, or, or record of me having a high school diploma or going to college, they enrolled me in ABE1, ESL, whatever. That's why what he put... Oh, me. the ESL stuff. They, they, that. This, they enrolled me...
1: That you don't even know Vietnamese. Like, they're just assuming... Yeah, 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 just
0: because my name. Okay. So... But because they did that, that that work that work assignment said I began work already right when I hit Pelican Bay. Whereas if I had a high school diploma, I have to go on a waiting list. If you don't get no work or school assignment, you don't get any extra points. So we were, the whole place was slammed down. But because I was there for eighteen months with a work assignment, they were able to drop my points. So then that's how I got to level three. So I went to I went to Donovan from there. I, pro, I went I think O two. I went down to Donovan.
1: Gotcha. So fresh, you stayed a year and a half in. You already moved your first prison a year and a half in Donovan. Donovan, was a level four?
0: Level three. It was level three. Level three. And then in 06 is when I went to Soledad, uh, also level three. I was supposed to go level two at Soledad, but they overrode me to the level three yard, the north yard there. Okay. Stayed there for a couple years, and then I went to uh, Solano, and that's where I paroled from. So I got to Solano in 08.
2: Mm. Did you ever go to St St. Quentin? No, no. Well, you did the TED Talk through for the San the San Quentin TED Talk, right? Yeah, I did
0: a TEDx uh, uh, San Quentin TED Talk. That was technically when they first were talking about doing it. We were supposed to do it inside San Quentin, but there was just so many.
1: Is this what the ear hustle guys?
0: Yeah, this was all behind. Uh, um, they were afraid of like COVID and stuff, and they didn't want to put a whole big production inside, and then COVID uh, slams us down. So that's why we did it inside uh, Checkers offices in San Francisco.
2: One thing that interests me that I, do, I just want to take back, Jack, your first experience going to Pelican Pelican Bay too, is because at this time you still were in that mindset where race was a thing that yeah. was very, yeah, very yeah. large, right? Yeah. Obviously, at the time, um, what was that experience like? Now going into there, because we've we've talked to a lot, we've interviewed a lot of individuals uh, with blacks, Hispanics, all that. What that experience was like? What was that for? How was that for you? Um, integrating in there.
0: I remember. So I mean. As you may know, or I don't know if your audience knows, but Asians were the smallest group in there. So I remember we'd come out to our table, and there's like, what, 10, 12 of us? But yet we have to stand at our table every day because if we don't do it, then we don't have a table. So we just have to stand there in the shivering cold Trying to light our cigarettes and with our yellow rain jackets on and well, that freezing hell? cold. It like that? Yeah, it's oh, cold. Right? It's, it's cold. Uh, it's basically it gets, Washington, yeah. right, or Oregon, or something. Yeah, it's at there. the border. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's cold. It, it gets so it's cold. raining. Yeah, it's raining. Cold that that's why it's cold and it's shivering. So yeah, and you, so I was like, everybody's shaking and and yeah. yeah, but we just have to stand around and just look at each other because you can't play handball because it's raining. There's no sports to play. You just stand around the table mm-hmm. because yard's open. You have to represent. and Just stand around. So. So you're right.
1: I forget about that, like the mindlessness that's involved in that. Yes, you just have to be there, just yeah. showing face. You hate it. It could be either on the worst end, cold as hell, or on the hot end, it could be 120 degrees, and you just have to be there, huh? Mm-hmm. That's that's the culture.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so you would think you still have that freedom to to at least walk in the yard like nothing, but even then, you still have to abide by some stuff yeah, too I and mean, that part. Right, so I mean, exactly, yeah. Um. So then, that experience was just was 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 it? My modeling? like was it a little crazy for you knowing that you had such a small community compared to everybody No,
0: because I think I was already, uh, I was teacher. already. That's that's how it was for us at the juvenile hall, yeah. and and Why? and in the county oh. jails. We're always mm. outnumbered, so it's like for us, it's like okay, since we're outnumbered, then we have to be more violent, and and if things mm. happen, I think this is where we have to pull more weapons or whatever. Just always have to go above and beyond to protect ourselves. Or at least make it yeah, l- yeah. feel like that, that it's yeah. not worth it to, to, to go at it with us.
2: Higher level participation was required on your guys' points. Yeah. So like oh, staff.
0: yeah. I mean, internally, we always said there is no such thing as a second round. You better be out for the first round mm-hmm. to all go to the hole together. Because if, if you're the one stuck in the cell and only it's eight, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to be what? 300 Mexicans fighting yeah, you or, or totally 200 uh, 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 Crips or bloods jumping yeah. you with one dude. Yeah. So that's why we're always on the yard. You have to be on a, Like if it's going down, it's going down. Just we better be yeah. the first group to go go out.
2: What was your experience like? Because I'm assuming you went to the shoe at one point, right?
0: No I, no. I Because of, so at Pelican Bay, that was the, they had us on a soft shoe program. They called it that because the I guess the officers just got attacked, so they were like trying. They're only letting small groups come out at the time. I had gone to the hole at the county jail when we rioted against the police, so they threw us in there. I remember they stripped us down and sprayed us all, and oh, kept us wow. in, in in the hole there for what was it, like six seven months, just fighting with the police up in the county jail too. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's large. So, uh, so a lot is happening with with your experiences. I guess when did you kind of start getting to the what was happening with visits? Because even you're in Pelican too, visits were... Yeah, there were, no,
0: there were no visits no at visits. Pelican Bay. Yeah, that was way too far from my family. But yeah, there was no visits there. I didn't get visits till I got to Donovan. But the vis, Donovan was, was a different spot because I think that's where I began to get involved with sports. And I think that's where that got me to see the race thing differently. Yes, we mm-hmm. were still on different races. But now, oh, there's this group of dudes that plays football that are all black and all Hispanics. And then yet we could still have a banter and I got to see them differently, yeah. Like, wait, we're all just incarcerated here. Yes, there's still this tension, but it's not like, I don't know them, they're not mindless. and So I think that's where sports started to change a little bit of that uh, uh, YA mentality in me.
1: And then I think as the years go by as well, You're just such in a small, close quarters. Eventually, you're going to get to know different cultural mannerisms. You're going to get to know just the walk of life for different Mm -hmm. folks. And then you get accustomed to it. And you're like, I know what it is to be with somebody up north, even though you've never been up north or something like that.
0: Yeah, you start to see that. And I think uh, for myself, especially by the time I got to Solano, because at Solano, it's dorm living. So now... Okay. So, yes, my bunkie is the same race, but now I'm living in the same dorm of different races. You go out to the day room, so then that those those and by that time, we were all lifers, yeah, so it's like the graveyard for lifers, so that I think that also that shared bond right there kind of started to make me look at things a little bit different, not totally but but uh, a little bit differently and then yeah
1: so so you mentioned something about at that time when people were getting sentenced to life, you weren't seeing any lifers come home um. What what was your mentality moving from Don from Pelican Bay to Donovan, a three yard, you probably get a little more access. Was your mind focused on continuing the path that you were going on, which is, you know, the homies, the this and that? Yeah. Or was it or or like I'm thinking would have been the I wanna go home route if you didn't see that yet at that time?
0: What yeah, I don't I think of course of course we all say we want to go home, but I didn't see a way like my mm-hmm. appeal had mm-hmm. It was at Donovan that my appeal got shot down. So it was basically, okay, my paperwork's done with. I'm dying in here. It was like, but we just pushed it off. Okay, so I'm just going to work out. I'm going to play sports. Um, this is how I'm going to do my time. Still do. I'm going I'm to hustle. Uh, and then, you know, that's, that continued to inform me, leading into a, a Solidad And then Solano, when, once I hit there, even when I hit Solano, what was that? 07? Oh, Oh eight. I can't remember right around there. I think that's when uh, Henry Lawrence came around. The ruling for by uh, for the woman Sandra Lawrence it was like became big mm. news because like the very first woman life term prisoner that argued up to the Supreme Court like what's the difference between life without possibility and life with the possibility because it doesn't look like California is uh, uh, seeing any difference and they had like thirty years of data to go back to and look oh crap. She's onto something, they're not paroling nobody. So then I think that's where that first ruling that maybe opened the doors just a little bit for some lifers, but then when once when I looked at it, it's like factors of suitability and I'd see the list, never been arrested, had a good prison record, da da higher education. Then the, the other side is like a uh, uh, prior arrest, gang involvement, blah, 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 and all those. And I go, I still don't qualify and the vast majority of us still don't qualify and we didn't hear of anybody going home anyway, so there was there was just that contributed to it. But I think that's around when I first heard like there may be a little bit of an action, but still it was like yeah, it was you, unheard of.
1: Yeah, and then the three strike dudes were still in there, barely fresh, four or five years in their sentence. Yes, yeah, and they were realizing like oh, this three strike is for real. Yeah. I really got three strikes for stealing some underwear or mm-hmm. something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what what um. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Be out yeah, yeah. my train of thought. But no, man, you're that's, good. That's intense.
2: Because I want to get to now what, what led to to the book, right? You had an experience um, when you were incarcerated that mm-hmm. led to to writing a, a fantastic book that now anybody could check out on any platform, right? You have it on Amazon,
0: everywhere. Um, uh, Amazon, Audible, everywhere. Yeah, you can. So,
2: can you talk to us about that experience that, that led to to?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things for myself on how I escaped not only through sports but it was through books. Like I've, I'm a okay. bookworm, a huge book. Like I go, I go to prison law library, check out three or four books at a time. I'm known to read three or four books at a time, depending on what I want to. Like, oh, let me get to this world, or let me f- learn more about this. So, um, dictionary on the side, dictionary on the side. Yeah, to help me understand See, some right. more words, and um, so I. And I also have this tendency to go down rabbit trails. Let's say I I really like a book on this subject, then I'll look in the back of the the table, of, uh, the acknowledgments, and. Oh, who influenced this book and I look at other books and that uh, gives me different titles oh, hey, this looks interesting so I just go down different rabbit uh, holes, uh, yeah like rabbit holes, holes yeah of different and, authors and- yeah uh, different authors different genres mm-hmm. and um, i I've always loved books on entrepreneurships and entrepreneurs in general and business so I remember around at Solano I was reading quite a bit of books on entrepreneurship and and business books. I used to have like a Wall Street Journal subscription. I used to love like uh, oh, being involved with all and that. Yeah. yeah, man. And then, and then um, I s- go down these rabbit tracks. I can't remember what book I was reading. And I got, got, became very fascinated on books on the saints and particular stories about saints that had failed in their lives, but then had turned it around and gone on to create legacies or created the orders of the different orders that they did. So I, I became very fascinated on, on those stories which then led me down books on mindfulness and spirituality, and mm. so like all these books became like a perfect storm in my head, mm. and I I, I began uh, began just uh, reading all these ones. Uh, also, I had met this uh, uh, this this one of my good friends at the time, uh, Donnie. He's home now, but he also sat down with me, like, hey. Uh, uh, I can't remember, like, he, he began coaching me on, on different things about my own personality, and he, he got me to examine myself. So it came this perfect storm in my head, uh, and I was standing on a prison yard one day, and I was like, man, like, fresh readings of, on, on, on mindfulness and things like that. And then I go, why do I have to view prison as punishment? Why can't I look at this as a place where I can remake myself, even if I'm supposed to die in here? And, you know, of course, the answer from the universe comes back and says, yeah, you can. And I remember that moment very well because I was standing at the, the 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 prison fence. The At Solano, they have these hills, and the sun was barely coming up over, and I could feel the warmth. Mm. In the little blades of grass, I could see the individual drops of dew. And then up above me in the razor wire, I heard a sparrow chirping. And I tell you, what, like, the sparrows had probably been chirping my whole prison term, my whole wire term, and I never heard them and these sparrows are everywhere on these prison yards you know you know they land on the razor wire i don't know if you ever noticed like they all have stubby feet because they landed the wrong when they're is, yeah. The little, yeah yeah and so um mutated. yeah they are <laughs> mutated yeah so i remember seeing it and then i have to say from that day forth, prison was not longer this harsh cold ugly place it became a place where i felt connected to other human beings other men some of them much further along on the journey some of them perhaps not even awakened yet but i looked like oh crap we're all just here on this journey. Um, So then I became fascinated every day. Like, what else can I learn about myself? What else can I do? Uh, One of the first things I did is I um, checked in with a therapist, and that's where I began the process of grieving my father's death.
1: While incarcerated. While incarcerated. This is like
0: 25 years after he passed away, and this is where I first began mourning it. And then being the the consummate bookworm, I get fascinated with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model on grief and loss and I, and I started reading all these books on grief and loss and what this, so then I noticed, wait, all these guys around me are also grieving, whether it's grieving because they've lost a family member that's passed wow. on or a wife or a partner that's left them or kids that no longer talk to them or even something as uh, seemingly uh, 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 harmless as being moved from one prison to another but yet they've left behind friendships that they cultivated for years an huge, and now right? and unable to talk about it. And I saw this pain and this this need for healing. So I put together a syllabus and I submitted it to the prison psychologist. The psychologist loved it. And we started the prison's first ever grief and loss group. Wow. And suddenly I'm in there firsthand and I get to see, oh, shit. Now I feel alive for once in my life. Now my my life has meaning. So then I get involved with other groups. I create other groups. Um, and then that just began building this, this momentum within me, like, this is where this is what it's about. Is this is what making an impact is about. This is how I can serve the men around me, and this is where I am in this little forgotten corner of the world that nobody would ever know about. But yet I am alive, and I am making a difference, and yeah, and I'm making an impact, and that just became for me like, oh, this is how I want to live my life, um, even if I'm supposed to die. And suddenly, inside prison with a life sentence, I feel absolutely free, and I so then. Um, in also my bookworm Travels, there was this other guy that loved to sh- also read books and him and I would share books all the time. And then for some reason, he um, one day gives me his parole hearing transcripts. The parole hearing transcript, nobody shares it in there, but he let me read his. He had seven of them. I think the man had been down like 30 years at the time with to seven different hearings. Damn. And when I read it, I saw like, wait, what he told me said happened or what he kind of says happened and what actually happens in the parole hearing are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading because it shows, it's an actual transcript. It says like inmate so-and-so, parole commissioner, and it says what they ask and what they say. So I'm reading and I go, crap, I think I know why he's not getting to go home. So, and it's not his crime. So then I, I sat with him and said, hey, I think I know why you're not able to parole. So he sat down with me, and I started walking him through the pro process. So people saw like, he, okay, what,
1: he was open to that? He wasn't like a little No,
0: No, that was weird because okay. I, get, I think because him and I were reading the same books, and gotcha. it kind of contributed to a different okay. way of looking things just a little bit differently. So he was open to it, and I didn't know what I was doing. But I go, I think, so another of my friends sits down, and there's three of us now, and we're talking about the parole process. So people are like, what are you guys doing? And he's like, oh, Kwan's helping me parole, prepare for the pro board, which then the guy's scoffed like, how can Quan help you prepare when he's never even gone to the board? You guys are all crazy, right? But I was like, man, I, I think this is so in alignment with how I see the world and, and, and what showing up in the world and personal responsibility, like all these things I was uh, uh, fascinated with. So my other friend that sat with this goes to the Pearl board and is found suitable. And that wow. just opened the floodgates. Like, people are like, what the hell? So now and everyone because, wanted to talk to Quan, huh? And, and <laughs> yeah. or him or or group. Yes, like, they're the like, department. oh. Yeah. And But then I go, okay. So then for me, I was like, crap, I know this amazing sense of freedom. And I got it not from going home, but it's just by showing up and, and owning uh, parts of myself that still need refinement. So then in in help, beginning to help coach the guys prepare for the board, um, for me, it's like, I already have this sense of freedom that I want to share with them. They're sitting with me because they want to go home, but right. I want to get them to a place where they feel good inside already before they go home and more importantly, once they go home. And that was like the... That's so so important. Yeah, exactly. And even the guys that didn't get to go home, but as long as they come to a place of I am content and happy and have forgiven myself, and that's the place that that, that, that I was trying to get the guys to. So, Yeah. I would say like those last few years, I helped like maybe 12, 14 guys go home, which is not an insignificant amount, right? But we think maybe the you amount of lifers that are in the state of California, right. like 40,000. So that was nothing. So um, I... But
1: w- oh, that's huge. That's a huge accomplishment yeah. given the time, given the fact that people weren't coming home. Mm-hmm. People didn't really start coming home till 2000, what, 14?
0: Probably, 18, yeah. I think, yeah, around there, 14. 2011 yeah, 2011 and 12. But, but those guys were getting cut from the from the courts, I think. Cause I proled in 2015, and it was still, I think, less than yeah. three five the percent of us w- of lifers were coming at the time. I think it's 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 changed f- much better now. The the rates are higher, but it still needs to uh, be a, a lot, lot higher.
1: There's a number out there, like someone that's doing the the data. I think uh them. CDC's
0: uh, uh, website. Yeah, oh, okay. sh- they, they track, the, that. Yeah, okay, they track they it. They sh- it. they say the percentage. So the uh, website should have it.
1: You you know, I'm also. Um, kind of like fascinated by the fact that you never mentioned that this is coming from like the prison this sounds like it's from your own accord your own right. willpower to make these things happen yeah yeah so the rehabilitation rehabilitation came from you within and from the decision and with made, other
0: men around yeah. that are looking to to make a change yeah because I were like don't get me wrong like when i left i felt there was a part of me that felt really guilty i go man there's so much more deserving men here that are doing much better work that did much less uh 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 violence in their lives and yet are still stuck in here um but yeah i think just that's that's just how i think this happened around my spare in the Wire moment happened around probably what 2010 11 around there and so like those last three four years yeah i i, I was able to lay out a, a bunch of good framework for how i wanted to live my life was there and some- how i wanted to show up
2: uh, was there a story that, that kind of caught you from those 12 to 14 that you helped that you were like, wow, and helped you realize even more, something more empowering that you probably haven't touched on? Or that, that just helped you realize something even larger than what you already had going
0: on? Um, one of the guys that I helped, uh, he, well, I can't remember how I found out. We were on the same yard. Uh, one of my best friends... When I was in the gang, my homegirl was killed by this other gang. Um, he was from th- that gang. Mm. And I didn't know it till later. At first, like, we were in the yard. So cool, me and him getting along. And when I found out he was from this gang, it was, like, a weird mind fuck for me. Like, what the fuck?
2: Yeah. Weird feeling?
0: Yeah, like, like, You didn't know how you, Was it
2: because you didn't know to be mad, sad, or yes. frustrated? Like
0: or, you, or, like, wait, this is somebody that I would would right. have easily been okay with shooting and killing. And I imagine I've shot at this guy before. And... I imagine he shot at me and like, but yet he's so cool and we get along. And yet now I feel I can't. And there was this whole whole dynamic. So um, when I, so that was always there and we never brought it up. I never brought it up with him that I knew when I was able to start helping guys. um, I think he saw me helping the guys and I was like, hey, I think I can, uh, uh, you want me to sit with you? And he's like, "Uh," and he was always wishy-washy about it. And I was like, listen, If you're uncomfortable because in sitting, me I ask for your transcript, I ask for your your stuff, and it's gonna say what gang you're from. I'm okay with that. I know where you're from. Right man. And uh, which I think blew his mind. So then we sat down and boom, boom, boom. We we got him prepped in parole board. So he he got was found suitable. And I remember him telling me, he's like, you know, you of all people. My own enemy, like uh, from the streets, and you would sit with me. He goes, so I think that was one. I mean, there's so yeah, all those guys are amazing. I I, I think
1: just it's so important because I think that 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 highlights the hell out the fact that you you did exhibit change and reform. If that's not a a clear example of that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Without having to do it because CDC is asking you, not Mm -hmm. parole, not an agent, nothing. You're doing that because that's who you are, and that's how you've changed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's huge, bro. Huge. Some people we still grow care. and don't fucking snap out of that. Yeah. Um, One big intense. circle
2: that I see on that part too yeah. is the idea like, you started off your enemies. At the end of the day, you guys are friends. But that just shows, yo, know, these are individuals that have either gone through, felt the same way, or have gone through exact same kind of lifestyle you've been through. We're all the same. Like you said it too. We're all humans. You That's what. You started feeling with the sparrow. You started connecting with these individuals. Mm-hmm. So it's so empowering that this is something that could be caught even at an early stage at a young age. They could find their sparrow. They could see their sparrow. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I hope like some of our audiences get. Like Yeah, we you, said,
1: man, that's a constant mission.
2: Exactly. The that's the biggest, yeah, that's like the biggest mission out of all, yeah. um, to find that sparrow. So now you you started working with these individuals. You started helping people pearl. parole. Um, now, when did this, When did that kind of like? It's ironically when you started going into right. into these meetings. Like, were you getting help, or did you feel
0: like you already knew? Or how that? To go or about I'm thinking, it.
1: yeah. How did? Yeah, exactly. How did that? How did you implement all the stuff you were teaching? Right. Now for your own thing. That's well, I thing think it that's
0: that it became a constant uh, sense of like refinement. Like, seeing uh-huh. seeing my friend tell me what happened in the parole board, and reading what happened, and seeing it's w- totally different. T- informed me like there's this narrative he's been telling himself and it's over the years and then it made me think what narrative have I been telling myself that's that that over the years so I started looking back and unraveling like wait I told myself this narrative and this is no no longer true so I had to start listening for myself so I think every time I learned from these guys I would try to apply it to myself I mean I began journaling so that became a place where I could be very honest became a container where I could just examine my thoughts and just like lay out like things I wanted to continue to hopefully work on. Let's say I read about uh, how to effectively communicate and then I wanna practice it. And then you and I get in an argument on the yard. And I'm trying to effectively communicate, but it doesn't work because I forget that I want to effectively communicate and I revert back to my old self. Then I come back to my journal. This is where I failed today. This is where I could fix it next time. This is what I would have done. And I just start going through that process. So then the next thing I begin to process, process. So it was like years later, I look back through my old journals and I'm reading things that I wanted to practice and realizing, shit. This is where the seed was planted, and yet this is what I've been doing for the past few years. I've evolved past that old person. Yeah. So I think that became this really sense, huge. huge sense of accomplishment in myself, and it gave me this, this sense of, how can I still continue to learn from those all around me to make myself a better person? And that's just, yeah, that's, so I think, I mean, that that process is still there to this day. I look at it like, okay, what can I still learn from people around me? How
2: many parole meetings did you go through um, to to get released
0: two i was released on my second one the first one i went in um they gave me a five-year denial
1: so how many years were you in at that time was this already like 20 in or something like that
0: no um no i don't i've done a total 22 years but on the life sentence i did 16 and a half total okay Mm -hmm. Uh, which is
1: which shows that you did something perfectly in order for them to have paroled you um most people we hear, even in our past interviews, it sucks they end up doing like 25, 30-ish for murder cases and yeah. stuff like that.
0: Um, also, though, that, I think also, uh, remember the 25, 30 or somebody doing 40 years, if they had come in during the 70s and 80s and 90s mm-hmm. and did their time then and gone to the parole, Even I think even if they had ran a perfect program, they would not have got paroled because really? of the, the mindset of the parole board at the time. And I think the belief of, of uh-huh. yeah, so, I mean, there was, they did not, the data is there from 77 to 07. They did not parole a single lifetime prisoner. Maybe they might have pardoned a couple or maybe people that had connections like with uh, politicians or like uh, a cop, or a police, or police killer, I mean, a, a policeman that did a killing or something. Uh, so those were the very rare ones that got out through a governor, like parole board and then the governor doesn't pull the date.
1: That sucks. We definitely need to uh, highlight that a lot more, just in general, you know, like yeah. um, how how a lot of people got pretty much f. They got fucked, you yeah,
0: know. Yeah, and then, so I mean, like. So there's, like, I know, like, the OGs, like, the ones had, like, the B and the C and the D numbers that that continue to go to board during that time and got hammered, and yet, so when we meet them, we're like, oh, this is an old, bitter man, but never taking into account what happened to them during those years on how they were traumatized of going to a board over and over and over, having it be hopeless and have the the board, like, hammer them, and then they just go into a shell of themselves, or they have this narrative, like, the board's going to screw me, why am I going to show up? I mean... I know guys that still refuse to go to the board because of a bad experience at a parole hearing even decades now, ago so much, um so so much
1: so many good things going on like even now i i know i know I know of is there.
0: yes, the possibility that but I think it's i mean I know of a, a, a older father figure of mine that's in there that still has not gone back to the parole board. he's probably gonna die in there, and it's not because he's he his crime is any more heinous than the gotcha. next person it's just. He Do doesn't want to. he's still step.
2: trying to find himself or is it more so like he's just still angry at I the mean, idea of what happened? With I think
0: it's own. more, for him personally, I think it's more, he's able to help so many men around. But like to your question, is he able to help himself? And I don't think he's got to that place. That's,
1: that's, key. that's the important part, right? Yes. What good is it if you can't incorporate that stuff yep. into your own life? Mm-hmm. Um, so, So you end up going to the parole board twice. What happens the first time that they didn't find you uh, suitable?
0: They gave me a five-year denial. This was back in 2013.
2: Were you already helping people at this time? Sorry. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah, ironic. Yeah, yeah. would did you think? Like They would seen your success with others, but then you not They know. did,
0: but, but then I had quite a few write-ups to answer for because uh, my very oh, those, first hearing. They were still taking those into account, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were still taking those into account. And then um, I remember uh, the commissioner said five years. So... Um, everybody on the at the time thinking a five-year day now I remember when I came back to the yard of course the naysayers would like see Quan doesn't know shit oh, like how's he yeah. helping you guys like yeah. uh, uh but the the ones that my true friends came to check on me hey that sucks we believe in you uh you've done a lot of good and I filed for my 1045 petition to advance the hearing about a year and two months after which at the time everyone's like you're crazy you're supposed to wait three years and I was like where does it say we have to wait three years? And they said, well, everybody knows. Well, you know, that prison mentality that everybody knows is just this, mm-hmm. this, this. It becomes folklore. Yeah. I've heard, like, yeah. I know like yeah. already, yeah. too. Yeah. But, yeah. Me, too, right? <laughs> yeah. You like, you yes. I assumed it was always three, and then <laughs> yeah, you can exactly. maybe do. I put it in at one year, two months. And so the guys on the yard, like, and I, I, I'm very straightforward. The parole, it was just one page thing. I see guys submitting, like, these legal beagles saying they're a prison attorney. They put 20, 30 pages to submit the packets. <laughs> All I did was I put the thing, I said, the the commissioners denied me for this, this, and this. Since then, these are the classes I've taken to address that, that, and that. These are the books I read to address. so, I respectfully request that my, my, my circumstances may have changed, and I'm respectfully requesting an advancement in a hearing. They granted it. So, then people on the yard are like, oh, they only advanced it so they could deny you. Because uh, once they deny you, then I can't file again for another three years. Wow. So, you just say
2: people that are just like sh- sh- trying to shoot you down. Well, I think, no, but that's, that's a prison
0: mentality. Like I think there's a lot of things like you're that. Right. So, yeah, I think some it's, people
1: aren't where you're at, and so they're not there yet. But, I, you know, what's trippy is, though, once you get out, the same dudes that were acting like that, they may get that spark. Yeah. And who knows? And that's you know, that's, like, that's the hope. Okay. That's the hope.
0: Right? Yeah. But then I went in. So I found a year and two. And even inside the thing, um, inside my hearing, the DA, he said something to me. He's like, you hear the prisoners talking about all this remorse and all how bad he feels. But yet, Mike, and I guess there's was part of the question, he asked me, why did the prisoner, if he feels so bad, why did he file a petition to advance the hearing a year and two months after his thing? If he felt bad, why didn't he just wait the whole five years? So I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I was like, right. okay, this look, I could, I could sit here all day and tell you how bad I feel. But if, if I sit here and, and, and just not like, uh, and feel sorry for myself and say, okay, I never deserve to go home. I, I, I killed a, a living, breathing human being. I can never bring anybody like that back. So I can sit here and feel sorry for myself or I can move on. I have to learn to forgive myself. What good does it do for me to sit in prison? What good does it do for the men on the yard if I'm helping them to tell them there's a way out? What good does it do for my family? So that's why I'm here today. I'm here to hold myself accountable. So I think it was, it was a weird question the way he asked it, but I almost fell into the trap of, you know what? You're right. Yeah, I don't know. But, really? Oh. Yeah.
2: So I want to go now to what took place on the second one because like what changed? Like I want to hear if you're willing to talk about what is some of the stuff you said during that time, uh, we, we'd love to hear that. But what happened that day?
0: I mean, it's all in the book. Um, yeah, I detail it. I, I don't... I think I just I just showed up. I showed up and was just my genuine self. I, I mean, um, I owned everything that I did. All my... Before leading up to prison, all my stuff throughout my prison term. Uh, yeah, and they... I think the commissioner just saw like, you know what, this it makes sense. Like I, I I I I don't think this person is dangerous. But even that hearing I thought they were on me and I thought I'm not being denied. I'm not that's
1: the one where the dude's saying you haven't learned enough, year and a half, you haven't yeah. remorse enough, Yeah, huh? yeah um, said- and I tell people, Yes there was a crime committed, you're taking accountability for that. But uh, we're not the judge. Who's the judge to say that this time amount of time is what you should be getting? Mm-hmm. That's why there's a judicial system to decide that. You yeah. know? And you use that process and you you actually showed reform. There's a panel of people you have to go through to come home. right? Mm-hmm. They don't just let you, every person that thinks they're ready to come home. No, they bet you. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one thing, and I kind of wanted to touch on this just to, for the audience that may have family members going through this. What are some of the things that, let's say, for example, some people out there have life for uncles, dads, something like that, that they may be doing wrong when they get denied? What are some of those things that they're doing wrong? And one, for example, I hear a lot that they want you to admit to the crime and people tend to say, it wasn't me. It really wasn't me. Um, And it sucks. I really think it sucks because some people, it really wasn't them, but they have to admit it in some way, shape or form Mm -hmm. in order to move forward. Does that stand true?
0: I think... I think I know where you're going and I think a lot of, so it's not as black and white as I didn't okay. commit this okay. crime or I didn't. I think the question is more, I think men sometimes and or women yeah, inside have this mistake of, I didn't do, after the, I wasn't the shooter and after the shooting, I didn't throw the bottle out the right side. I never do a bottle and they get stuck on that piece instead of what are you owning? What is your component in this? What are you exactly responsible for? And they they want, they want to get hung up on, well, this is the one thing that they're wrong or these are the five things that they're wrong about me. Like, what does it really matter? Don't even talk about that. Who cares? Like now if it's part of the record, yeah. So I think it's more, what are you taking responsibility for? If you didn't pull this trigger, that's fine. What did you contribute in this? And I think that's the more important piece for people to get to.
1: Mm. Okay, that that's huge. That's important, like you said. And I I've I think I personally even that even everyone I think does in their initial stages of incarceration, yes. you're just like you have this scenario of the way it went down, and yes. you're sticking to it. Yes. And you know, realistically, it's even scary to dissect it because yes. you're like, oh, I didn't really go down like that. It went yes. It went down a different way. Yeah. You know. I or feel- like
0: they interpret it differently, or like they say, yeah. oh yeah, like. I think where I see it happen a lot with uh, some of the guys also that uh, are in for like a domestic murders, like they're killing the, mm-hmm. their, the wives or their partners. And I'm like, oh, that's, they said this here. That's not true. This is not, not true. So I'm like, what does it matter? Okay, who cares? That's not true. What does it matter? Like, what are you responsible Definitely. for in this?
2: One thing I feel like that, that could probably tie into is the idea, like, even at like a lot of these intervals at a young age, we're already getting exposed to the idea of things getting blamed on them. Like, even, like, they were just getting blamed on blame. Like, you did this, you did this, you did this. So when they really, they are so used to trying to prove themselves. Like, no, like, I'm not, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So it comes to, like, when their case happens and it takes place or anything like that, they're pointing out the stuff they didn't do. I mean, that's the way I'm I'm, I'm trying to, I'm 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 trying to connect it in a way, but. Yeah,
1: they haven't grown and they don't know how to, they haven't grown new, new ways to handle those situations. And so they go back to the. Wow, I didn't do it that way. Look, it says it there. Yeah. When in reality, you're past that. You should have grown past that to understand. Like you said, you're not understanding the totality of it, not just those pieces of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, man, so the so the commissioner finds you suitable for parole. So so what what happens there? We know that you sit around for maybe ten minutes, right. and then you go back to the yard. Or? Yeah,
0: I go back to the yard, and then from smile, there,
1: no smile. Right,
2: what are the guy I was, yeah.
0: I was like crying now you know you oh good. Like, yeah I mean there are like a bunch of the, my 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 good friends of course were very happy um and yeah then I people just come up and congratulate me and it's like I realized though that's 150 days right because once you're found suitable okay. you have 150 days well 120 days first the timeline begins for them to make sure they they, they did everything correctly then they have 30 days to give it to the governor to, for him to sign off on it and that's the window that they yank. And I don't know. I f- I, I looked at it I was like, okay, this is the 150 days I have to spend with these men before I may never see any of them again. So this is m- going to be my grieving process over these next 150 days. And that, so I was very intentional about how I spent the last five months there with the men because I, yeah. But it was like, I, so I met, okay, because I think I saw a lot of lifers that were paroling like, Okay, like counting out. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out. But I, I looked at it from a different way. Like, man, these are the last 150 days that I get to spend with some of these amazing human beings that I'm going to leave behind. So let, let me make the most of my time with them. And that's how I approached the last five months.
2: That is a great perspective to great look at. Just selfless flipping approach. It.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Selfless, you know. Right. I love it.
2: I, so like during, I'm assuming this is probably the longest, well, not the longest probably the quickest five months now seeing that you're flipping and you're trying to help so many people but there's not enough time yeah yeah like did you feel like it went by quicker for you it went
0: by very quick i think it was just like right around the corner like i remember um it was before i even had an idea of writing a book like this there's this amazing guy in there The one i told you like the the father figure i had and he has such an amazing story and there's so much depth on him and i was like Damn, this would be a shame that the world would never hear about this amazing human being that's doing all this work behind right. these walls. So I told him, I was like, hey, and I've always loved writing. I said, like, hey, these next 150 days, can we sit together 30 minutes, five days a week? You can just kind of tell me your story. I'll document it, and I'm going to put something together. I'd love to write something and put it together and give it to your family as a gift of the work that you do, but I want to find out more about you, your history. And he tells me, yes. Let's do this. Wow. Um, we scheduled, I think, for the following week to sit down. An excuse comes up, then another excuse comes up, and he ends up pushing it off, pushing it off. And I realized, oh, he doesn't mm. yet We're going home. Yeah, and and he doesn't want to share. And then there's like this. Yeah, so I was like, it was unfortunate, and I had to tell him like, damn, this, this really sucks. Like, you, what's what's going on? And it was like, but they, yeah, I knew like that's this is where our friendship is is. Is going its different ways and yeah,
1: so it was already basically on a timer. hmm mm-hmm. Um, damn. That so sucks. his story's lost. It's lost. Yeah. It sucks. And I and I tell people same thing. I've I've ran into a lot of lifers that even on the last podcast I mentioned it. I was one of the youngsters that took it, and I used to see their youngster IDs and seeing a grown man in front of me, and I used to be like, I can never do this. Come back to this place to. What kind of... That'll be a slap in the face. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. this guy was my age. And look at the... Look at the gentleman that I'm looking at now who's 30 years older. Mm -hmm. He never got the chance. And I'm getting more than enough chance to come back and reintegrate and do what I got to do. You know? Um, Five months. Quickest five months ever. uh, Take us to your parole. When they walk you out, you give everything away or however that went down.
0: So... I didn't share earlier. I'm... Grew up in Provo, Utah, right? As I shared. Oh yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. huge Dallas Cowboy fan. Right? That's all they showed. People are like, how are you come yeah, a Dallas City Cowboy fan? fan. Uh, no,
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> So
0: um, so you must be a Niner fan or a Redskin fan or I'm just okay. joking, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, no fan, no fan. No. So my brother though is a diehard Redskins fan. That's just how we grew up, like opposing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the day of parole that we went to, I went down to get my parole clothes, and um, my brother was like, "Okay, I'm sending you your parole clothes. What you want? Jeans? You want this?" So I opened up my parole box, and inside it, there's a Washington Redskins like shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's how I my brother it. did. It. Yeah, he he he, he I paroled in a Washington Redskins uh, uh, shirt, just for my brother, and he made me take a picture. so I sent, "Took a picture, sent it to him." Yeah. And
1: uh, I you, you uh, Solano, right? Solano. So I and went up north.
0: Yep, up north. So I went to Sacramento Airport. I flew out of there. So, okay, funny story on this is leading up to it, I started researching, how do I get on a plane? And everyone's telling me, TSA is never going to let you on a plane. You don't have a, an ID. ID. Right. And then I like, I want to get on a plane. And like the guys around me, my group of friends, like, You're, you need like my boss at work. Like everyone was trying to talk me out of it and i'm like why is everybody so against me trying to get on the plane like what's the worst they're going to do they're not gonna they're not gonna let me on that plane i guarantee you i'm still gonna be the happiest dude in the airport that day <laughs> or or what what's the worst they could do that's bring, that's me the back, bring, bring me into the back bring me into back room and make me strip search me or it's it's nothing yes nothing new, yes, no, nothing new right. right so yeah. why are you guys so opposed to this i, I, I swear to god were so many people opposed to my even my family was talking about this i was like send me my old driver's license. I got that, and then um, and I had the prison ID. So when I got out, I went to TSA, got to the thing, and I showed the the guy. And I remember the, and I, I kind of talk about it in the book, like the the guy when he's looking at, it, he's like, uh, "Can I have your ID, sir?" And then I give him the ID. He's like. What what ID is it? Cause it's those it old green that? ones, right, from the nineties the like,
1: height and everything, the little bar. I think so. I can't remember. It I just mean. looks like a prisoner ID, right? Yeah, it was
0: really, those like old it. ones. And then I go, I just got out of prison. Here's my prison ID, and I give it to him. I go, I've, I've done sixteen years. I look at the dude. He looks like about nineteen, twenty. He's probably three or four years old when I went in. Correct. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, hold on, let me talk to my supervisor. So he gets the supervisor. She comes to me. I tell her the same thing. Look, I just got out of prison after 16 and a half years. This is the only ID I have. This is my prison ID. This is my old driver's license. And she looks at me, looks at the ID, looks at me, and is like, welcome home. Let me ride, through, ride on through. Wow. My first tears of the day. Yeah. Those are my first tears after getting out. So that That's was huge. flew amazing. from Sacramento into Long Beach. And my brother picked me up right there. My family picked me up. What,
2: so. so was this your first time riding in a plane?
0: No. No, okay. I I was I was did saying. you have like agree,
2: a right? clear bag and everything with
1: your property or the last... I, the, only thing, the only
0: thing I walked out of because pri- I had sent out my prison journals.
1: Okay, so all your phone numbers were safe at home already. Yeah, just all the journals and... I had
0: over the year. I had this little phone book that I still had with me okay. that I carried. Mm. And I uh, one of the things I did after my first hearing is I gave myself the gift of learning how to play a guitar. So I carried out my guitar, but everything else I left behind. All my CDs, all my stuff I left behind. So I only walked out with... Uh, the guitar and um, my little notebook. Yeah, I remember sitting in the airport waiting for it to pick me up, for the plane to pick me up. Most beautiful sunset outside the window, and everybody's down on their phone. Nobody's oh, looking up and noticing. And I'm man. seeing like, what is this world is out so here?
2: interesting,
1: yeah. What is this
0: world? But that's the world I stepped into, right? And now I... Was it
1: really that? Like, you were really looking at them, and you're like, what are they doing like right? No, because
0: I am seeing the beautiful sunset at Sacramento right. Airport, and everybody's just on the phone nobody is enjoying that sunset and i go oh maybe it's just me because i'm coming out of prison but i still enjoy the sunsets oh. that's, that's so like
2: that's yeah, so big I, man like it just it makes me regret why did i not look out the window why am i not sitting outside right now like because even then it's a beautiful view being on a plane and being able to see everything right mm-hmm. that's another thing in itself but i just look at my stuff but you don't realize this is like this is your life like you can take advantage of this you can really enjoy this take it people, all in yeah you know? people cannot do that there's so many people that can't and that's and sad to say it's because they either grew up in a bad environment that led up to have to survive for what they had to do and things like that that led to mistakes or led to you know situations that now they've reformed they redeveloped yeah and it's just so empowering to to hear that but it sucks at the same time because now it's getting worse and worse Um, And and
0: everything. I'm
1: sure you probably wanted to maybe ask someone a question or something, and that was an automatic kind of like red flag. You're like, do I even?
0: Yes, I mean, no, because even like when we flew into Long Beach from the thing, I saw this woman next to me. She was taking pictures of it, and it looked beautiful. I was like, oh man, I want that picture. I want to memorialize this, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to ask her for it. Like, what am I say? Hey, can can you send that picture to one of my family members? Like, this is their yeah, number? Yeah, like, I no, no, phone Yeah, I don't then. have a phone. Have no like, phone no like, no, and nothing. then she'll be like, like, What sure. do you mean, where's your phone? Like, why take yeah, your that, own picture? That, I didn't know how people that, were going to react. That's
1: nuts. Like, you got an email? Like, I can email too. That would have been the response without a shadow right. of doubt. It's like, You don't have a phone? Where's your phone? And then you mm-hmm. get into the awkward discussion. Yeah. Awkward for them, not for you, right? Now, I'm sure you know how to. Like, yeah, I was in. This is what I'm doing now, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes easier with time. Um, you meet up with bro. He sees you with the redskin jersey. Right. You guys embrace. What's the deal?
0: Yeah. Um, go to his house. Mom's is there. My my younger sister, my brother's wife, my little niece. Wow, whole we had a family. Yeah, whole, fam a whole new fam, life huh? that yeah
2: that you didn't get a chance to see. Mm-mm. Right. What was Mm-mm. that like?
0: I mean that that was too like my little niece was the cutest thing. I was like, damn, look at this little this little beautiful little human beings. Like reminds me of my brother when he was young with his, a girl. Amen. So yeah.
2: That's that's wild. Cause like, like they started a whole family, like a wife, kids and all that. And now do you see that in your future at all? Or like, is that something you have going on right now? Like, you know, having a family and, and doing something like your brother does?
0: Uh, Well, I don't know if kids are in the cards for me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Not yet at least. Yeah,
2: Not yet. <laughs> you no. never know. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So now i want to talk about um what that transition like it yeah. was like especially because it sounded like you had support your family a lot of individuals when they come out sadly they don't have that yeah but they try to find programs so what was that like for you um with that transition
0: well i remember. Mean, uh so my sister i stayed with my brother i remember that first night uh i could not sleep i fell asleep when i woke up and it was just too quiet i was like what the hell it was wait you know because usually you hear the men shuffling in their sandals the keys of the cops walking the toilet flushing like all of that something going on something there's movement whispers of men talking you know like and it was just absolutely quiet and i like i can't sleep i go wait why i need to sleep let me get up Mm. and then i uh so try to watch tv and i turned on the tv and then there was like two, 300 channels, and I'm like, <laughs> what is this? How do I figure this out? Like, I go, where's just like PBS or something that I could watch? And so I couldn't figure that out. Um, then I go, okay, let me make some coffee, and I'm searching, and all he has is a coffee machine. I like, go, where's the instant coffee? Where's so, the Folgers? So, yes, there's <laughs> no, so none of that, so I remember. <laughs> so I have to wait like several hours before he gets up, and like, yeah, so I remember that first night. It was, yeah, I think I barely slept that first week. It was just, I was so excited, happy to be home, um, and yet, it's just trying to figure out the world out here. Yeah.
1: What was there any uh, disconnect between you and your family at all? Those beginning weeks. Yeah. It takes oh, a I mean, toll on everyone. Yes,
0: right. I, I, I would say. I think there. I, I tell guys coming home from incarceration all the time. I think your biggest challenge is rebuilding those relationships. Oh man. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a technology learning curve on the phones and everything else, but those could be taught. I think the most important piece that's going to be the most challenging is. Rebuilding of relationships or or building of new relationships. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so, because, you know, of course, my family saw me one way of this knucklehead gang member that had a way of showing up and talking. And I think for them, there may have been this weird disconnect, like, wait, how is he showing up like this now? Is he saying, Mm. is this true? Is 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 he he a con artist or something? What is going on here? Yeah, so I think there was was that um, until they, yeah, until they just started seeing more and then um I ended up because uh, uh, I can't remember within like a month or something. I was like, wait, I think I'm gonna go live with my sister. Mm. Uh, I think it was easier for me at the time to get to work and where I was uh, uh, for everything for me down there because I think yeah, my brother and sister-in-law like talk about crazy hectic schedule. They wake up, drop the daughter off at school, and at the time they lived in Signal Hill. So it's like basically Long Beach. They drive down to Huntington Beach. She was going to private school, and then from there they go to yoga, and then there That's they why go he to kids. That's exactly. why it's a lot of kids. They, <laughs> and, exactly and then, too much. Yeah, to do. <laughs> and then they go to the company, his real estate company, and running that, and then going wow. home, and then they're picking her up, and then they do all these things and then eat dinners. Like, and I just was just exhausted. Like, I guess it was just information overload for me no like more, just sensory uh, overload no
1: power naps, no, none of yes in between the yes days, I'm not, that's what that. i was, I
0: was yeah. like don't you ever take nasty, like, naps what do you mean naps, <laughs> naps? <laughs> so yeah i think and then um so i moved in with my sister it was and it was, it was such a pleasant surprise because now like my sister who i only knew as like okay this little girl she's and, right. and oh, then man. like because me going in and out and every time she's just a, a, a kid or like or, or a young adult or something but now she's like a career woman has her own uh, uh nice apartment it's That's it's awesome. a place with the gym and it's barbecue and a swimming pool and like all the amenities throughout the whole place downstairs places to eat so this is like i'm spoiled now and i live with her and I just to see the the beautiful mature woman that she has become and yet we can still have and just being able to build that relationship and get to know her mm-hmm. as a woman like i didn't i didn't know her it's like man i'm so proud yeah, of Yeah, you're
1: right it's a different error for both of you guys yeah. now post incarceration and she's no longer a kid anymore
0: yeah so right. it was just being able to see that and and being able to talk through because i think she also went to therapy oh. to grieve my father's death i was gonna ask about. so that. Yeah. her and i could have like whereas my mom never has so she can't i mean my mom read my book up to chapter three and she's like i can't read anymore and she All never right. touched it again to this day and she, and she can't talk about my father so i remember even when i was writing i go do you remember when dad did this why did this happen And she talks a little bit and then she tears up and then she shoves it away and doesn't talk about it. Uh, I don't think my brother's ever uh, formally grieved my father's death. So he'll, like, like when my grandfather was in the hospital, I could see my brother. He goes in and his body's tensed up, and I'm sitting in the hospital all day, um, okay with it. And I saw my brother's, like, very uncomfortable. He's like, I hate the hospitals and I hate being in this place. And I was like, it just takes me back, like, damn. So each of us have our own journeys and our Correct. own things to, to resolve.
2: Right. So with, with that too. So when did it start leading to the, you did the book later on, uh, more later on, right? Yeah. So what was the next step after that? Like you started working, what was the next, because you started, there's DeFi Venture stuff, there's Sparrow and then Razorwire. Yeah. So we want to touch on that. Okay. So, so when I was incarcerated, right, yeah. yeah when I
0: was that. at Solano, I joined DeFi Ventures uh, pilot program. So DeFi Ventures is a nonprofit. Their mission is, to shift mindsets to give people with criminal histories their best shot at a second chance to do like, career readiness, personal development, and entrepreneurship training. So I remember when they launched the pilot program at Solana, I'm like, entrepreneurship, personal development, that's all me, let me right. join in. Yeah. yeah, so I joined uh, DeFi while incarcerated. I paroled before I pitched my business. I was let let go, so I stayed involved with them once I came home, uh, and that's was a huge part of the reason why my mindset was already like, What's the opportunity and how am I going after it? What's the opportunity? So while working at my brother's real estate company, I used to see every day like, man, this janitorial company in here sucks. Because I used to work on the, in the prison hospital. We used to run a crew and we had that place, like speak and span, yeah. clean and everything. And I told my brother, the janitorial company here sucks. Uh, why don't we create a janitorial company and um, I'll real, manage it. Real,
1: real quick, did he ever say like, that's something I never really thought of. Like i never right. thought. No, well, so he he. Well, he
0: told me at the time, he's like, you don't you can't just create a company like that, right? <laughs> ah, so right. he's like, that yeah. I've been in business all these years, and you can't create a company. It's not that easy. Take, there's a lot more that goes into this. Uh-huh. So then, uh, I about a few months later, I found out the building owner was looking for a janitorial company. So I uh uh, uh I got the email from from my sister-in-law, and. So in DeFi, they teach you like, you know, you always introduce yourself. My name is so-and-so. I'm the founder and CEO of blah, 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 right? Whatever. So that was the thing. So I was like, okay, first thing is my name is Quan Huin. I'm the CEO and founder of what? I don't know what the company's going to be called. So I started looking like, what am I going to call it? So I went on to GoDaddy. Like, okay, I want it to sound like something valuable. Let me see platinum janitors, gold janitors, and those are all taken. So I go, what about jade janitors? Asians, we love the jade stone, and it kind of sounds similar. I looked up Jade Janitors domain name open nine dollars and ninety nine cents, so I purchased it. Ah. So I wrote the email to the building owner. My name is Quan Huen. I'm the founder and CEO of Jade yeah. Janitors. I hear you're looking for a quote. Da, 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 da. I start going down the process. I used to run a team at uh, 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 the hospital up in Northern California. I'm now down here. We'd love to do business with you. Whatever. He's like, okay. He responds by says, Can you give me a copy of your business license and insurance stuff? Yeah. No, business license. So I'm like, What is this? So I asked my family and it's oh, you have to go to the county courthouse, then you have to do a doing business as. I went that same day, put it in the county courthouse, like, and I went to the city of Fountain Valley. I remember the city of Fountain Valley, and he said, What is your name? I he is like, How many employees do you have? I go, uh, none right now. He's like, Why are you calling it jade Janitors? Why shouldn't it, why didn't why don't you call it jade Janitors? right? Yeah. And I, like plural, right? Like, it plural. was kind of clowning me. And yeah. I, right. I go, the way I I go yeah. I'm go, i going to have more than one employee. So oh, we're, yeah. we're plural. It's, it's going to be janitors. So um, I, I got that. I sent it back and then he, the building owner says, can you give me a copy of your business insurance? So I didn't know what that was. So I got onto Google. What is janitorial insurance? Looked at all the different policies and I think that was where my first big gamble at the time because like, it was like a couple hundred for the business license and everything already. But now it's like you have to sign the contract. I have to give them my business license. I think it was like something like 400 bucks plus another 80 bucks a month. And I have to sign the contract for a year. So it's like 1200 bucks. Mm-hmm. I think something like that.
1: Total order to, to, to have that now. to
0: have the insurance component of the janitorial. Okay. okay. So I got that part. So I, okay, I purchased it same day, sent it off to the building owner. He's like, can you give me a quote? So I li- worked in the building already. I okay, it'll probably take me about three hours to clean this place. I'm gonna bring somebody in. I'm gonna pay them for four hours of work. This is what I'll pay them. This is the margin I want. I sent the quote and he said, Can you guys start Friday? So that's how I got my first contract. Yeah. But, wow, that's. Learned a million lessons of. The spat
2: of how long? Four days. What the?
0: Four days. (laughs) You
2: started a business in four days. Yeah, four days.
1: You know, and and I love that we highlighted that, man, because you know how many dudes that are incarcerated have the the ideas and they have the stories. Some of which, even for myself, I don't put into practice. I didn't have the tenacity to keep it going to whatever, but you're actually one of those those rare dudes that you you knew this is what it is, and I am going to do it
0: yeah, that's you know? what I think about like people say, "Oh, was that luck was that uh, oh, I think no. it's it's a mixture of both there's opportunities because at any time I could have walked away where whether it's not even writing that first email, when he asked for the business license, when he asked for my insurance, I could have like ah." Oh, 1200 bucks. this is not worth it. And then I'll be that guy talking about, oh, I thought about building a janitorial company back in the days, but never go through with it. I'd rather be the one like, hey, I tried it, I failed here. I mean, like when I first started a company, we messed up so many things, sure. learned so many lessons. Yeah, I mean, he said, can you start Friday? Me and my eagerness said, yes. I should have said, nope, let me get the right person in place. Let me start at the beginning of the month. You know, how did I do invoicing? I, didn't, I had yeah. learned all of that over the years. But yeah, I mean, company's still running um, to it's this amazing. day. It's yeah. amazing. So six employees, four of them are also formerly incarcerated. My best workers, I tell everybody oh, yeah. by, by far. Yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean during the pandemic, a highlight I'd like to share is that I was uh, I, I was turned down for the PPP loan mm-hmm. because of my oh, criminal goodness.
1: history. Oh man! So you, sorry to say that again, because what? Because
0: of my criminal history, like wow. on one of the questions says, are you on parole? Have you been convicted of, uh, of any felony? I had to check yes and it grayed out. I couldn't continue. So I can't remember how people found out like CN- CBS, Money Watch, then CNN reached out to me, um, and then PBS, NewsHour, like all of them. And then suddenly the ACLU reaches out and they said, Hey, did you get turned down? Can you show us the paperwork of your company? Um,
1: automatically turned down. I mean, those people reached out to you just. Did you start throwing some stuff out there to I think media? I can't, yeah, I
0: think... I, I can't remember exactly how okay. they found it. Like, okay. I did post... a like, huge, man. Yeah, like, like, like man, them. I got freaking turned down. I think DeFi Ventures, since I was uh, 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 working with them at the time, uh, they also put it out like this. So then DeFi actually um, became the the lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit against the SBA. And we submitted on behalf of the, Jeez, on man. all small business owners with criminal histories. And we got that language changed. So... I got the PPP loan. Yeah, that was, a, that was a really cool thing that we were able to do.
2: You've come such Huge. a long I know, way. Man. Um, well, it's so fast too. Yeah, so fast. So what are the next, I guess, what steps are you taking right now with your business to, to move forward?
0: I mean, well, so the, the pandemic really, I think I, my goal for, I remember I had wrote down my goal for 2020, right? Like the goal is to grow the company because we were already making six figures. Right? The, grow, wow, the goal okay. is to get us to a quarter mil by the end of the year. That was like my goal. Pandemic happens, all the commercial properties close or, or like no one's renting. Okay. So we lost mm-hmm. about 70%, 70% of our clients overnight. Cancel contract, cancel contract, I, I, cancel I, I, contract. I think
1: it would have been the opposite because now they need cleaning and sanitizing. But, but nobody's going into the office. But no one's going into the office. I and mean, at that time, sense. they were able to like
2: bankrupt without any kind of like, uh, any kind of concerns or situations. So a lot of business were taking that action, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they were just okay. shutting down. Yeah, they
0: were shutting down, buildings got sold. So we lost like 70% of our, our, our clients like overnight. So then I had to pivot, you know, in the spirit of Defy and what we teach at Defy, you have to learn what's the problem? How are you solving it? So my problem was COVID. How do I solve it? Oh, we're cleaning company. Why don't we learn how to sanitize? I know how to sanitize from prison. So we landed a pretty lucrative contract in the Pacific Northwest um, for a while. So I was servicing the, uh, a high-end uh, chain of uh, um, restaurants throughout the Pacific Northwest. Okay. So those are doing good. So that saved our 2020 um. Yeah, and now it's like still growing the company, but I mean, I work full time at DeFi, so I I tell people if I put ten hours a month into my cleaning company, that's probably overstating how much time I put into it. No way, it. really? Yeah, and the runs. Yeah. So that means though wow. that you found
1: somebody that you have a hundred percent confidence in right. to make sure things are.
0: Yeah, and and it, guys just guys that I talk to from prison. Like, Are they?
1: Were they guys that you were busted with?
0: Some, like some, some before. Yeah, some. Oh, and then there were others that I met along the way. I used to go to Leifer, uh the parole means. meetings. Okay. And the guy comes up. Like, I'm just home after 30-something years. I'm looking for work. If anyone mm-hmm. gives... And I come up to him. Hey, where'd you do? What work did you do in there? You ever you ever do a porter position? You, you, you want work this. right here? I, I got you right here. If you want to get some part-time and then there's so like... Once I have little contracts, I could plug guys right in. I mean... They're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I say, what do you mean you don't know what to do? You did the port, right? You know how to sweep? You know how to mop? You know how to take inventory? These are all things you know how to do. The skills are transferable. That's one of the things that defy that we always drive into the guys. These are transferable skills inside that you could apply out here.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it, man. That's so powerful that, that, uh, again, one of those rare stories where you have these ideas, you put them in emotion, and not only that, you literally give back to your people. You know, and I consider everyone formerly incarcerated, my people, right? Because everyone understands that struggle. Mm-hmm. So for you to, I'm, a, I'm thinking you had to have thought on those things. How do I give back a little bit? How do well, I, I
0: think all, all that informed me because, like, the challenges I faced in launching my company, the support I wish I had mm-hmm. out here, but yet, so Defy expands out to, because at the time they only had a Northern California chapter. I found out they were expanding down to Southern California, and they were looking for, to have someone build up their post-release program, since I, I was in real estate, I had already helped my family. Like My brother had launched his restaurant, so I was there with him from concept to daily operations. So I was helping them be yeah. the general. So I learned a bunch in that. Um, once I heard DeFi is expanding out here to SoCal, I was like, you know what? I think I'm, it's time for me to interview and move on. I, I want to do something with much more impact. So I interviewed for oh, DeFi's wow. post-release uh, position, and yeah, so I stepped in 2017, I, I stepped into the role, began building out what does the post-release program look like out here in Southern California for men and women coming home from incarceration? So I got to be a key component of that. Now...
1: Front lines again, huh? Yeah.
0: So yeah. I got to build on that. And over the years, my roles and responsibilities have grown. So like last year, I stepped into the role. I, I mean, I oversee our entire chapter in Southern California now. All our operations in the prisons, the transitional homes out here, the entire post-release program, and then our entrepreneurship pathway for men and women that want to build their businesses. I get Fuck to build yeah, that. Dude. Hell yeah! <laughs> Thank um,
1: you. That's huge, man. That's huge. And again, I, it may put genuinely like puts a smile on my face to know that like it honestly like reinstills some type of vigor in me. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm like now I'm like let me go back to the drawing board. You know, I had yeah. a lot of thoughts and ideas too. Um, and even though life hits, life hits for everyone. That's mm-hmm, still not mm-hmm. an excuse. That's been my excuse, but it's not an excuse. Yeah. you know. Technically, I should you should still be able to handle business because there's plenty of time you know, there's plenty of time outside of a normal nine to five, you know, it's just like in there, you just have to use it wisely. Like you said, I used to tell people, I took the time the same way you mentioned it to think like I'm the count of Monte Cristo. Why not better myself Why Mm -hmm. not read everything? I'm, I'm in this time capsule. Why not?
0: Yeah.
2: Or also use your nine to five to learn more like how you did, like you're using your nine to five to find, and then you found out about the janitor stuff and then you started putting that together, like try to grow yourself even more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, when, so can you talk to us when you started writing your book?
0: Yeah, I started writing it January of twenty nineteen. Okay. I was um, I, I did a talk, I did a talk in Colorado, um, and then that's when I was approached after the talk by um, four times New York Times bestselling author Tucker Max. He wrote like, "I hope they serve beer in hell" and stuff like that. The, that okay. that whole genre. So he's like, "Hey, do you see the impact that you just had on?" the 150 people wow. in this audience. What if I told you I could help you scale that out <laughs> 10,000 times, 100,000 times? Do you want to make that type of impact in the world? I'm like, yeah, like how? He's like, write a book. Um, right. Which is, you know, I always love writing, so that also spoke to me. And then um, he goes, come to our process. Let me uh, go through our process and we'll get a book out of you. So I remember that we, I, I agreed at the time. Um, he was sending me stuff to read. And... To, to leading up, like, okay, who's your target audience? What are you gonna do? And da 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 He wrote, he put in all of that. And um, I think about a month up until uh, flying out to Austin to begin writing, I, I I messaged him on Facebook. I was like, hey, I read everything that you sent. Um, I don't think I have a book in me. I don't think I, 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 I could do it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what who I would write it for. I don't know who I could help. And he's like, Quan, shut the fuck up and just bring your ass ass out here to Austin. Your story's told. So then we went out there and he's like, um, we were sitting there like it was all these authors like, well. Uh, aspiring author sitting on the table and they they made us introduce herself you had to sit in so I was sitting at the very last seat here so it started with a person across from me they started introducing long last table like <laughs> who your name who your book is for what problem you're solving what pain you're solving for the audience and all this stuff right so they start going around like oh I'm the chief marketing officer so and so my book is for ch- uh, other chief marketing officers that want to scale their company from uh, eight figures to nine figures and then they start going down I was like what the hell is this yeah, it's like, like, what am way, I way off here? here? Or, yes, yeah, like, yes. Like, what am I doing? I don't think I belong here. But I think that's always a part of me that I'm always going to feel like I don't have a seat oh, at the man, table. Yes. And, there's nice. a, and, and it was just like this, this internal dialogue that I'm always telling myself. So they're getting down. I remember it came back to me and I was like, my name's Quan Huin. I'm an author. I don't know who my book is for. I don't know what it's about, but I'm willing to learn. And that's where the process began. So it was like, we went, they laid out the outline, my commitments of who I'm, the time I'm going to write, like even as specific as who my avatar is, what pain am I solving for them. So my book's written for men that are doing long or lifetime sentences. And in it, I'm sharing with them how can I come to my own sense of freedom. Uh, how did I come to my own sense of freedom years before I paroled? I start off each chapter with the actual excerpts from my parole transcripts. So you'll see what it looks like at a parole hearing. And that's how I reground people this is the parole process. This is the parole process. So that's, that's how I, I wrote that. Um,
2: so you're, because you're still teaching people through the book too for like how they could overcome and, and those, go yeah. to parole and all yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Well, because basically every time I go back in, I could talk to a man within five, ten minutes, they find out you're, I'm a lifer. And they, so they always come up, oh, you did, uh, uh, this is teacher, what happened. Right. So I'm listening and I was like, damn, I could help this dude, but I can't because I am not on this yard. And I want to help them. Like, every time I go back in, like, do DeFi and stuff like that, I knew I could help, but I couldn't. So this is a lot of the motivation, like, what can I share to help? And then I think the other thing is I, I realized in in facilitating a lot of groups in there, I felt men learn from me best when I shared my own mistakes, my own challenges. So that's the way I wrote the book. It's sharing of my own challenges, my own uh, 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 difficulties, not, like, You need to do this, but it's more like I remember when I used to think like this, and this is where I was wrong, and this is what I've learned since then. And using using the parole hearing process as a framework to help drive the story. That's
1: fantastic. That's huge. That's amazing. Um, I definitely have to, to take a read, you know, it's uh, been a while, I have to... Or take a listen, it's on Audible. Is it? So, you know, that's one thing, I'll pick up a book, the most recent one that I read was uh, Anne Rice, I've always been, even since in there... Interview with the Vampires? Interview, mm-hmm. all the whole series of... And, uh, the witch, Mayfair
0: witches. witches, yeah, I love that, I read them all. Uh-huh.
1: Um, haven't gotten into Audible, that one's tough for me, you know, the Audible. I feel like it's more for Audible's for music, not for listening to a mm. book, I think that... But... Um, I love it. I know nowadays, though, everyone I talk to, they're not used to a physical book. Um, so Audible is the way to go. Right? Well, I, you what, listen to podcasts, right? It's <laughs> just uh, funny because <laughs> Audible is like you're used to music. But
2: it's like I see my generation, like my generation is like right? Audible is like, oh, it's see? pure books. I didn't even know there was a music
0: component to it, That's to be honest. Nice, so. So, I mean, if you listen to podcasts. People are listening to podcasts. There's an yeah, Audible, right. right? I mean, That's right? It's, true, yeah. so yeah. they're That's listening approach, to it. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to books or I listen to podcasts when I'm driving. Stuck in LA traffic. Yeah. I'll listen.
2: Okay. Are you looking into doing like any other books or anything like that right now, or you still, like do you have? The ultimate? I was
0: told to by many people already to begin book two, but I don't know. I mean, like, I have to figure out what's the problem I'm solving for right. and who that right. audience is.
2: Well, we appreciate you, Quan, man. This is like this is one of the most like well mentoring podcasts we've ever had, and I, I loved it yeah. so much, man like cause not only that but you're doing your thing you're doing big and more importantly you're giving back Mm It's not this idea where you became an entrepreneur and you just went on your own no you're trying to give back and help those that are trying to be that are reformed as well yeah um and you still do it through the work you're doing if you guys haven't heard of d5 ventures man check it out they're doing great where can they go to to get access to d5 ventures yeah they could they could
0: go right onto our website i mean if your listeners want to come into prison with me with the cs or stuff firsthand it's like we run a seven month program uh, like, I said, like I said, career readiness, personal development, entrepreneurship training. They could pitch their. Every person going to a program has to pitch their business. It's going to be judged Shark Tank style by volunteers from the That's business okay. community. So those are high energy events. You get and to high see high end
1: business business community leaders. Right? It's, yeah, I mean it's easy names on there.
0: yeah, I mean it's it's not uncommon. And I tell people all the time, it's not uncommon to have inside our events the net worth of those people to be several hundred million, several billion. I, I'm I'm not kidding. So I. Yeah, and it's just, but I think the more important part is amazing entrepreneurs and philanthropists with a lot of money and access to money that want to drive impact, that want to make a difference 100%. in the world. And the
1: way to make an impact is we're in a uh, capitalistic society is mm-hmm. through money, right? So yeah,
0: through building. You through can building. definitely make something yeah.
1: happen, man. Um, you know, we appreciate you, Kwan, for, for taking the time, and we know you're busy. We've seen you firsthand. You were going at it oh in, in the gosh. room. You know? We know you're working. But um, if there's anything last minute that you want to part ways with the camera or whatever or the audience, but other than that, we appreciate you for a great interview. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, thank you for having me. I mean, yeah, the the audience, if they want to get involved with our work at DeFi, go to yeah. defyventures.org. Um, if they want to find out more about my journey, they could follow me on all the social media. It's at, at Quan X So just put an X between my name and okay. it's all social media there. So. And
1: then, yep, go ahead. No, I was going to say, then after, sure. we can definitely put that in the description and all that. That way people know.
2: Well, y'all, make sure y'all check out the book. Check out D5 Ventures. Check out Squan's uh, stories. TED Talk, especially. Your TED Talk was fantastic. Great job on that part. Thank you. Um, but other than that, make sure y'all like, subscribe, comment. Um, keep following that. We right, have great stuff, stories man. coming through, man. Thank you guys so much for Network that we're podcast. Let's we're out. Let's get
1: it, baby.